birthday? You want to watch some TV or something? Skip it. Well, I'm getting ready to watch a video. Really? What? Nothing but foul language and toilet humor. I'm disgusted and repulsed and and I can't look away. I need these things. I need these things. No way, no way, Jose. <laughs> this just in, go to hell! This conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Stop it! 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 Welcome, one and all, to another edition of Watch Skip Plus the movie review podcast with a lifestyle twist. Each week, Jose and I will review a new film, whether it be in the theaters or streaming, or sometimes both at the same time. But before we do that, we have a little icebreaker where we have a plus. It can be anything that we want to talk about. It can be movie-related, film, television, book. It could be the dryer lint in our belly button. It doesn't matter. Nothing is off limits, even though I will say I am not talking about my lint this week. But maybe, maybe one day I will feel... So, Jose, how are you doing? Good. Maybe some things should be off limits. Okay. Discuss <laughs> this was a good that, way of dis- <laughs> dis- discussing that. We'll do it all fair. Yes. But I'm, do- I'm, I'm doing good. I am unscripted and ready to let the words start flowing. <laughs> nice. Yes. And yeah. this week, uh, we will be covering Don't Worry, Darling, the controversial Olivia Wilde movie that has caused quite a stink, uh, and we will see if that translates into a good film or not. But before we do that, as always, you can reach us in any social media platforms such as Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. We are on almost all your podcasting platforms. Just go to anchor.fm forward slash watch dash, that's the actual dash, skip, and all of them will go. So you can find us on Spotify, Apple, podcast or pod bay i believe any of the ones you want were on there and i don't know if we actually said how we got it but the the feedback we got from sammy last week did come from the little message button so that seems to work folks so if you want to do that that, that's a fun way of doing it as well absolutely send us messages send us feedback we are uh we justin and i are both now uh sort of manning and commenting on our um uh watch skip plus Instagram feed. And so you may see a comment and afterwards there may or may not, because sometimes we both forget uh, there may be a, you know, Justin or Jose uh, there. Uh, But uh, yeah, interact with us. We love hearing from listeners. We love movies. So just hit us up and start the conversation. So Jose, what is your plus this week? I'm going to throw it over to you. Okay. So my hmm, so my i don't i don't know what to title my plus in some ways it may just it may just be a rant <laughs> okay. um so elizabeth banks i think we all know her she's a great actress known for uh known probably primarily for abc's modern family um wait is that her i don't think that's her she's okay no it's not her i'm sorry i'm trying to think of what show she was on 
I mean, I always knew her most from Wet Hot American Summer. She's been another great yes. thing since then. And she also hosts the Pressure Luck Revival, which she's really good at. That's right. That's right. Oh, she is on Modern Family. Oh, okay. she is? It is. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and you are correct. She has uh, hosted Press Your Luck. She's been in a bunch of movies, Wet Hot American Summer. Um, I remember her from uh, Walk of Shame. She was also Rita Repulsa in the modern uh, reboot. Of Power Rangers, reboot. which I actually thought was fun. Reboot, yeah. I liked it too. And um, of course, her probably most known role besides uh, Modern fa Family would be as Effie Trinket in the Hunger Games films. Yes, that um, is. And maybe so, also uh, her role in the Spider-Man Sam Raimi trilogy. It's not big, but it always had a licit big laughs. But yeah, 100% definitely Hunger Games. Definitely Hunger Games. And uh, so she actually ended up moving into directing. Um, she had directed uh, Pitch Perfect 2. Uh, something called uh, Cocaine Bear, which I don't think it's been released yet. No, but I'm looking and forward she, to it. Well, I know, just the title alone, right? Sounds exciting. Uh, and she also has a movie, uh, I think, coming out called Call Jane uh, that she is starring in as well. Um, and so where does the rant come in? Well, the rant comes in because in 2019, she directed Charlie's Angels, it, itself a... Uh, I would cl classify it as a requel in the respect that if there's anybody uh, who saw the film, which I absolutely love and champion and have watched repeatedly and probably know all the lines, um, it, it actually is canon. And so they make references to the Drew Barrymore uh, Flower Films produced uh, reboot movies Charlie's Angels and then Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, which was the sequel, those starring Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and Lucy Liu. Um, so it's actually, this movie's in some ways is a requel in the respect that uh, Patrick Stewart's character is sort of like retconned in as the Bill Murray character seen in the other two movies. And then you actually see costumes and references to not only the classic charlie's angels television show but also the the other movies as well and i am going to um, get ahead of you quick because i'm sure somebody will bring us out bill murray was actually only in the first one he was replaced by bernie mac in full throttle just before anyone does correct. the wait a minute he wasn't in both correct that's true and actually they do not make reference to bernie mac which is Aww. strange um but um yeah so it's actually if we want to get technical it is a requel slash origin story because when the when the when the movie begins, there's only two angels on this mission, and then the third character, Elena, played by Naomi Scott. Uh, actually, let's go back. The two Sabina Wilson, played by Chris, Kristen Stewart, Jane Kano, played by Ella Balinska, who was in the Netflix Resident Evil show that I had reviewed during one of our um, uh, episodes. And then the third woman, Elena, is played by Naomi Scott, and she is a whistleblower for a tech company, which the technology is rife for being misused for, say, you know, government shenanigans or hacking other databases. So she comes to the angels hoping to be that whistleblower, and then, you know, action and hilarity ensues. <laughs> so at any rate, Elizabeth Banks gave a interview in the New York Times and that interviewer actually asked her about um, 
about Charlie's Angels and had sort of indicated that, you know, how did you feel about that not being successful? And I just want to read this interview. So this is, um, again, it's a New York Times interview. This came out September 25th, 2022. It's by David Marchese. Um, and it's entitled, Elizabeth Banks thinks this interview is dangerous for her. Um, and so just to give a little bit of a background, Call Jane is about a conservative housewife played by Elizabeth Banks in this movie, who helps out with something called the Jane Collective, the underground organization that helped women procure safe abortions in the years before Roe versus Wade. Um, so obviously very topical, very, you know, feminist, women's rights, uh, that kind of thing. So the question, which I'm about to read out from this interview, goes, um, Cocaine Bear is the first movie. This is Mr. Marchese. Cocaine Bear is the first movie you directed after Charlie's Angels, which didn't do as well as you hoped. What did you learn from that experience that you could apply to this movie? Banks responds, that's a long conversation that I don't know that I want to get into. The interviewer says, we've got time. And her response goes as follows. <clears throat> I'll just be in trouble, Banks says. Let me say I'm proud of the movie. I love Kristen Stewart being funny and light. I loved introducing Ella Balinska to the world. I loved working with Patrick Stewart. It was an incredible experience. It was very stressful, partly because when women do things in Hollywood, it becomes the story. There was a story around Charlie's Angels that I was creating some feminist manifesto. I was just making an action movie. I would have liked to have made Mission Impossible, but women aren't directing Mission Impossible. I was able to direct an action movie, frankly, because it starred women and I'm a female director. And that is the confine right now in Hollywood. I wish that the movie had not been presented as just for girls because I didn't make it just for girls. There was a disconnect on the marketing side of it for me. And I'll just read a little bit more. Um, the interviewer says, you said you were able to get that job because it was an action movie starring women. Has the dynamic shifted since then? And she says in her response, one of my least favorite things to do in talking to people like you <laughs> uh oh, is to represent all women in Hollywood who are doing interesting things. I am a rarefied, I am in a rarefied category. There are very few female directors in Hollywood. There are even fewer who are actresses who have become directors. I've, expletive, worked my tail off to be able to do what I'm doing. I would love for you to interview the studio heads and the corporations and ask them questions because I can't solve it. I'm putting my head down and showing these big corporations that if they give women the opportunity to do this job, they can make a good product that can make them a profit. It's a male-dominated industry. It's a male-dominated world. That's what I'm up against, but I can't solve it and I don't really want to analyze it. It's not interesting to me. It puts me, frankly, in a position where the studio head is going to read it in the New York Times and be like, wow, that Liz Banks has got a lot to say. I don't need that added pressure. I truly feel that it's dangerous to talk about these things now. So, I understand, so I came across this article uh, through Deadline, and it did reek a little bit of uh, sort of like clickbaity stuff, and she does bring up some very, very good issues about this. Um, I guess what I'm disappointed about is her take 
on on her version of Charlie's Angels. And again, I think this is in the heat of the moment. She's promoting a new movie, um, which obviously is about uh, you know feminist activism. It's about women's rights. It's about abortion access rights and the right to privacy. And then this interview starts to talk to her about, you know, the failure of Charlie's Angels. Um, and I don't know if you remember, but she had sort of come out and said something along the lines of like, you know, uh, men are going to be the ones who are going to screw this up or whatever. Mm -hmm. And it did kind of come out like, I didn't make it for you, as, as you know, she sort of says here that it was just for girls. Um, and, I, and I guess, you know, I don't want it... I don't want her, what she's saying to sort of tarnish the vision of Charlie's Angels and the joy that I got out of watching it. And it's really hard when you read some of these clickbait articles because the the article that I read by Deadline, um, let me just say here, it says, uh, well, just again, that that it was like some sort of like feminist manifesto. Um, and in some ways, you can hear that Elizabeth is very, she's very woman, you know, centered, um, very forthright about how women are treated in Hollywood. And I think it's a disservice for her to then not address the fact that you cannot get away from the fact that something that Charlie's Angels itself, that her movie is imbued with a very feminist woman centered women can do anything um, point of view. And it suffuses the movie so much so that the opening scene is Kristen Stewart talking to her Mark. And she says things like it takes an average of 10 seconds for a, for a man to realize that a woman is a threat. And then all the angels come in and they beat up all the guys and they make their mission and they get all that stuff. And then the opening of the title credits is showing like, like a, there's a little girl and she has like wings on and she's sort of like flying through the air. And then you see gymnasts, you see women surfers, you see all these women doing these powerful, wonderful things that are traditionally like male directed or male dominated things, you know, and then the movie starts proper. And there's a lot of that going on in the film. It reminded me a lot of the spy who is it called the spy who dumped me? The one yes, with um, so. Mila Mila Kunis, and uh, now I'm drawing a blank on that. Kate wonderful, McKinnon. wonderful. Yes, that's it. Kate McKinnon. And um, it, it reminded me, uh, there's a lot that goes on in Charlie's Angels that reminds me of the scene where, um, you know, Mila Kunis is like, I did it. I said that thing or whatever, and I almost killed us. I'm so sorry. And then, you know, Kate McKinnon says, oh, no, I'm okay, but let's talk about you. Let's talk about what you did. You were awesome, you know? And there's a lot of that women supportive women empowered stuff going on in charlie's angels and i just uh felt bad that you know for whatever reason she says these words and sort of takes the the power and the juice out of charlie's angels because it again to me i saw it i saw it twice in the theaters i bought the blu-ray i've seen it a ton of times again i just you know uh the beginning when kristen stewart is talking about how you know she's like i can do anything i want you know, and it's my choice. And even if you tell me, because the man is like, well, you're here by choice. You're here because you're beautiful. And she's like, no, no, no. I'm here because I'm who I am. And I'm a woman and I can do whatever the hell I want. Um, and so, like I said, I, I'm pretty sure there's going to be some response or something that Elizabeth Banks does to this article. Because it, it does, 
like I said, it sort of tarnishes this wonderful feeling and 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 you know woman-centered power that I got from watching Charlie's Angels that I get from watching Charlie's Angels. And it's just a shame that she got sort of like put on the spot by this uh, interviewer who I wouldn't even want to call him an asshole or anything like that. I mean, he's just doing his job, mm-hmm. right? Um, so anyway, so my plus is essentially that, you know, Elizabeth Banks, I still support you. I still think what you're doing is great, but don't, it felt to me like there was a little kowtowing here. Like, you know, what would have been wrong with her saying, yeah, okay, I did do it as a fem- feminist manifesto. Women can do whatever the hell they want. And so it sort of seems like in this interview, she backed down a little bit and she shouldn't do that, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, she should be able to speak her mind, especially now, especially the fact that she is in a rarefied category as a working actress in Hollywood, a notable working actress in Hollywood, who's been on television, who's directed movies, and who is starring in something very powerful and made something very powerful and wonderful in Charlie's Angels. And, you know, she really should have her voice and speak. So that's that's my plus. <laughs> yeah. And all I'm going to add to it is, I mean, I haven't seen her Charlie's Angels yet. Uh, I think I own it. I just it's one of the ones that keeps falling on the back burner. I do did think that was a little weird though, because I've always felt like, and it's not a negative, but that's kind of always been the motif of Charlie's Angels. It's playing with the conventions of you know what is feminism and all of that, but really is just at the end of the day, it's poking fun at it. Even the, the the two prior films, their marketing definitely played up the fact that, oh, you've got sexy women and, you know, bikinis and all that, just like, you know, the original show with Farrah Fawcett, but, like, they're poking fun of that in the movies. It's not... It's So it's weird that, to me, that Charlotte, the, the newest reboot kind of got that, like, seeming backlash. I do remember, I think even prior to the movie coming out, her saying something along those lines of like, I think men will be the ones that ruin this. And I think that just comes down to the downside of not just clickbait, but also how we consume media. Most people just read a headline and that's how it becomes clickbait because you put the juiciest thing in there. Unfortunately, instead of it doing, ooh, that'll make people read the article, that just means people will read that quote, which can be out of context, and then they just run away with it. That that happens all the time, especially yeah. in the world of pro wrestling, where somebody might say something about another wrestler, and in context, it's not a negative. I can just think right now, uh, Seth Rollins saying something about Bray Wyatt, because his character of The Fiend, the, the downside, and he is true, is whenever somebody would face that character, they ended up coming out of the worst for it, because it's such a big supernatural character. He's not shitting on Barry White. He says he loves the creativity and that he's just addressing something that is a genuine concern of, well, how do we do it that somebody can come out of this and not look weaker? Right. I think that's happening here, unfortunately. Uh, I feel a lot of stuff gets taken out of context, whether or not it's intended. Um, but yeah, it, it is very weird. And I, I'm trying to think. There was another case of that happening very similar. Oh, duh. The uh, 2016 Ghostbusters film, which was another one, yes, that yes. they did. And I ended up liking that one. But I do think the marketing crew went a little bit too heavy on maybe that just because then it comes down to if you don't like the film or decide not to see it, that's the only reason why when for a lot of people, I mean, I perfect example, I remember James Rolfe, who was the angry video game nerd when it was announced that they were remaking because at that point it was considered a remake, not this weird requel that ended up being, but a remake of Ghostbusters. He did a video how he refused to see it because, you know, usually review new movies. 
And if anybody had followed him, they just know that the first Ghostbusters was so personal to him. So it wasn't because it had women. It was legit. Just he didn't want to see a remake of something that he loved, but it got taken out of context. And everybody's like, oh, because he doesn't like women. Well, like, in his case, that's not what it is. And if anything, yes, we can say he probably shouldn't have had to do a whole, like, manifesto on it. But I also get his, I get his understanding of if I don't make this video and explain why I'm not seeing it, when it comes out, people are like, why aren't you reviewing this movie when you review some of the other stuff? So it was just his way of saying, look, if they want to make it, fine, but I just, it's too close and personal to me, I don't want to see it, which should be how you do it. Unfortunately, sometimes that marketing gets so strong that it gets taken away. I think that... Unfortunately, Bros is kind of hitting this right now. That is the uh, LGBTQ plus romantic comedy. Uh, And I feel like, well, honestly, I feel the reason it's not doing so well at the box office is just because, unfortunately, comedies outside of the rare ones have always been struggling lately. And I think post-COVID, most people will only go to the theater if there is something they feel is visually worth it, whether it's special effects or even something like what we're talking about today, Don't Worry Darling, which has a very unique visual palette to it. And even though I love seeing comedies in a theater, I I think, unfortunately, a lot of people will see bros as something like, looks cute, I'll watch it, but I don't want to see it in a theater. But it can be misconstrued now whether or not it's the point of, well, if you didn't support it, it's because you're homophobic. And while there is, unfortunately, definitely going to be people who don't see it and support it because of that reason, that doesn't mean every single person who isn't seeing it in the theaters. I mean, I probably won't get to it in the theaters as much as I love Billy Eichner. It's just too too much other stuff. And like nowadays, there is a quick turnaround. By the time I'd probably think of seeing your own video, it's probably going to be on some streaming service. So I think that's definitely... Remind me to... And remind me to come back to to bros, but I just wanted to bring up I just wanted to bring up two points. One, um, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that that guy who didn't like the the idea of an all female Ghostbusters, I'm pretty sure he went on record saying it has nothing to do with the mm-hmm. women. It's just it's so personal to me, and yet our society is the kind of clickbaity thing where it's like you know remake sucks all women. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it's <laughs> yeah. And then the other thing I wanted to add was that um, I'm glad you brought up the Drew Barrymore Charlie's Angels films versus Elizabeth Banks's Charlie's Angels. And there was a sort of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, pinuppy slash action star, uh, tongue in cheek kind of feel to those other movies. Banks did a very serious treatment of this. And again, when we talk about marketing and female action heroes, I mean, you kind of can't get away from sexing it up sometimes, Mm -hmm. but I think that Banks took a very um, great approach in not sexualizing the women and using them as like pinups. This movie, her movie was treated more in a serious vein with some really, really great comedy. And in particular, Kristen Stewart, I never thought she could act. And then I watched her in Charlie's Angels and she is just such a crowd pleaser in that entire movie. Um, her performance alone is really something to, to check out. Um, but returning to bros, let's talk about the marketing on that. They, again, were like first ever big studio released homosexual rom-com. Mm-hmm. And it was sort of like, wait a minute. I mean, okay, maybe that's true, but there have been other gay rom-coms yeah. out there, right? Um, and who knows? Maybe the movie stinks. And and you know (laughs) what? Actually, it's funny that you bring that up, too, because John Waters, when I went to that event last week, he even said, why can't we say that some of the people that are, you know, homosexual or, you know, feminist or whatever, what happens if they just make a bad movie? Why can't we just say we didn't like the movie? Is that not as disingenuous to their 
Because now you're not even letting them succeed or fail. You're just only allowing them to succeed. Like they're not going to, you know, so in that, and I wonder if, I mean, to be fair, I don't even think he knows about bros because he's very insular and what he, what he enjoys now. But I remember thinking that, and I'm like, that is also, it's such a tricky thing where if you end up not liking something, and I think the 2016 Ghostbusters is a perfect example. I really enjoyed it, but I am sure a lot of the people that didn't like it probably just didn't really care for the humor. It's very specific, and it can get misconstrued that, oh, they're sexist. Well, I'm like, well, in this case, I think some of them maybe, but a lot of the people that I, I knew who saw it and didn't like it, I don't think they're sexist. I just don't think the comedy worked for them. So, I mean, um, I don't like Ghostbusters 2 really that much. That's not, that just has to do with the fact that I didn't think the comedy was good or fresh in that like it was in the first. Um, And then just to, you know, one last thing and then we'll move on to your plus because we're on a tangent here. Much less ranty. um, As we are wont to do, by the way. (laughs) Um, Anybody who's listened this far knows that we we get on tangents sometimes. But, um, you know, when you look at bros, let me just take you back to love simon with Mm -hmm. nick robinson okay that was a disney film a big film okay well disney distributed i i suppose it ended up on you know wait it did did go distributed i don't know if they did but i was gonna say i did see that in the theaters so yes i feel like they Um, did i feel like they did because they also did love victor which was the Mm spinoff um which is on disney well, it was originally to be on Disney Plus. They thought it was "quote unquote" too adult for Disney Plus, and then they moved it to Hulu. But um, did you like how I pronounce Hulu? Anyway, Hulu. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, but when I saw Love Simon, I remember coming out of it. And, uh, just to cut you, you off, know, Love Simon was twentieth yeah. century studio. So they, I don't know if they own, had purchased Disney and purchased them yet, but they have it now because of it being twentieth century. They have it now. Right. So I just, so first of all, there is a gay rom-com mm-hmm. in some ways. Oh yeah, 100%. By a major studio. Bing, bing, bing. Billy Eigner, you were not the first. Not that this is a, a dig at Billy Eigner, but anyway. So when I got out of, when I got out of Love, Simon, you know, all my straight friends were like, how did you like it? How did you like the representation? And at first I was like, that movie was boring. There was like, like if you're going to do a, you know, a genre shattering or at least come out as like a gay rom-com, why, why, why do something, why not do something more exciting and out there and in your face? But then I thought to myself, wait a minute. I think the fact that it's so droll and normal was the point. It was. Right? That's, at least that's how I took to it. I ended up really liking yeah, it because exactly. of the fact that it really was just what you would get out of a teen rom-com, but it happened to have a somewhat serious but uh, edge to it, but they handled it with enough care. Like, they didn't have to beat you over it. Yes, you had the moments with the parents. Like, you can't avoid that stuff, but it never felt right. too, like you said, in your face. Yeah, it didn't It didn't feel too preachy. And, you know, I... I there is one, I suppose that there is one camp that says, you know, I'm not going to take representation just for representation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think this problem happened within the Heights, right? It was mm-hmm. like some people went to that and they were like, the story sucked, right? Or it just, it, it was great. But like, if you're going to, if you're going to do something representing the Latino community and, and Puerto Ricans and things like that, like, why can't it be something spectacular and a great story that like blows people's minds? But then on the other side, you know, uh, you know, that representation is, is we go through the same things that you mm-hmm. all, you know, issues that other races will have. And, and, but you know, that, I think that argument also to each culture, there is certainly a different 
bent or approach or perspective to certain things. So it, you know, you can't always say, um, you know, the representation has to be this way because every culture has their different way of looking at things. Yeah. But, but nonetheless, it appears that bros is tanking, unfortunately. Yeah. And now all the clickbait headlines are, you know, first major studio gay rom-com dies at the mm. box office. When really, like, I just okay, think it's something yeah. that unfortunately people would see it in because it got marketed really well, at least with the Regal Theater. So like, I can't blame, oh, yeah. like if and when Amsterdam bombs, I'm 100% blaming the marketing on that because I didn't know it was coming out until like two or three weeks before. Bros oh, yeah. has been promoted at least since midsummer around me. So oh, yeah. I feel like oh, they've yeah. they've done that well. And then just before we segue over to mine, you do bring up a good point about representation. Well, why can't it just be droll or normal? Because as somebody who has come out as bisexual, I still sometimes get the, well, you don't act gay. And I'm like, how am I supposed to act? Why can I not just, you, you understand that part, a big part of gay bisexual and that is just a big chunk of it is sexuality and sexual, just what you're attracted to. There's also other things, but I don't need to act gay. And to be fair, it can also have the inverse effect where if somebody does have that kind of an outgoing personality and they happen to be gay, well, it's because they're gay. Well, I'm like, well, no, they could just have that personality to begin with. But yeah, it's always driven me nuts. And then I've only gotten it like once or twice, but I've had somebody, and I think they were just trying to make a joke, but it still came off as really tone deaf when they're like, well, maybe it's because you're bisexual. You don't have all that gayness in you. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Oh, right now. Yeah. It's just like it does it makes you wow. feel like we you'll get that argument of we don't need it in your face but then if we don't put it in your face quote unquote you're like well you can't be that then it's just that's not right. how many bikers and like the very serious bikers have to come out as being gay because that's a very big i mean there was a documentary years ago i can't remember the uh name of it off the top of my head where that was a big thing you had a big section of like gruff bikers that came out as gay and like they even said yeah people say i don't act gay but i'm like it's just a love thing like, i don't know why i have to act differently because i'm gay and it's bothering me i can't think of the name of that documentary right now hopefully somebody will catch me yes so. um i was trying to i mean the motorcycle club i think is called the satyrs yes uh the oldest gay continuous motorcycle club in the u.s i I can't find the And I don't even remember if it was that group or if it just happened to be that quite a few of the people that they had interviewed happened to be in a biker gang. And that was their yeah. big thing of like, oh, you know, it's very hard to come out because people expect me to act one way and whatever. It's really – I think maybe, The Pink what, Angels. It's called The Pink Angels. Okay. Thank you. From Well, that's from 1971. There might no, be no, no, no. That was – I think what I'm thinking of might – and I could be wrong, but it might have been Small Town Gay Bar. Hmm. Maybe. Maybe, Maybe. <laughs> uh, somebody will hopefully uh, correct me on that. So, but yeah, the point yeah. still stands, regardless of where it came from. So, and I, you know, yes, yes, I'm, I'm sure that I have misspoke or stumbled in my uh, discussion about diversity and representation on the screen and the two different sides. But hey, I gave it a shot. But so, you know anyway. what? I, if you did, that's a perfect example of what we're talking about with that disconnect of somebody could take this out of context where you always need to have that context. Right. You know, you so. need the context. And once again, Jose is An up intent. for cancellation again. Um, <laughs> I don't, know, I don't know if this one was as, movies. I was, was going to say, I don't know if this one is as bad as the children one. That one was <laughs> the fact that you survived that, I think, is a pretty good sign that, we, you know, people get your intent. <laughs> Probably good. So, Justin, yes. your plus. Mine is much less rant-filled. <laughs> so, I had mentioned a couple of weeks back that I went and saw AEW's pay-per-view all out at a movie theater. Well, now I have seen them live in person. So, this will be the third time in under a year's time that I've saw them live at the Lyacore Center in Philadelphia, which is about an hour and a half from me. 
Uh, they would have been here the first Wednesday last October, so very close to that year. And that first time I went was a disaster because I got stuck in Philly traffic and the way I originally came had me turning against traffic to get to the arena. So I legit Ooh. arrived around 6 p.m. Two hours before the main show starts, an hour before you can get let in and see some dark matches where if they're not on the main show, we'll just let them go squash some people. And I didn't get into the <laughs> building until about 8.30 p.m. because of how bad it was getting traffic. Thankfully, when I went back in April, and this time I've taken a different way, where one, I think the traffic just wasn't as bad because I think there was another event that weekend, but two, I'm pretty much turning, coming up right into the building, like behind it, and I'm turning in with traffic, so it's very easy. Uh, the only thing that almost became an issue this time was the second time I went, I ended up just parking in the, the parking lot across the street, you know, 20 bucks or whatever. But for whatever reason this time, I didn't think of getting the reserved because we didn't have it last time. And if you didn't pre-register and you got there after seven, they wouldn't let you in. But it worked out because I found uh, a couple blocks down the road, I found street parking that was free. And it would have been free three hours regardless, but since it was after 6 p.m., it was just free in general. So I'm like, oh, I just saved on parking. Uh, so yeah, this was a very fun time. Despite the disastrous first trip, that still ended up being the best sh overall show because it was a very special episode of AEW's weekly show Dynamite. It was a, an anniversary edition, and one of my favorite wrestlers, Hangman Adam Page, made a surprise return. So just having that moment, having a crowd go wild, it's hard to top that. But it's just very fun because you have a crowd that is very into the product, very rabid. And the one thing I'm going to call out, I'm not going to go over the whole show, was I lucked out because I like to sit up in the 100 section. You're going cheaper tickets, about 70 bucks. You see a perfect shot of the ring because your seats are escalating. And they had a segment where MJF, who is the big heel right now, he is teasing because he has this chip that he can like, well, they say cash in, but technically if it's a poker thing, you'd be cashing out, but I digress. But he can cash out and he can <laughs> basically say, all right, I'm facing you right now for this title. So he's always antagonizing the champion, John Moxley. So what he's been doing is he'll sit, sit in skyboxes during the matches. So when Moxley came out to have a match, he sat in a skybox that was one row over from me, so very close. And he Ooh. had a big promo earlier where he was talking down uh, Philly's own Wheeler, Utah. So after the match, when MJF's cutting a promo, he doesn't realize that Wheeler Eater sneaks up behind him in the skybox and they start brawling. So I was able to just leave and get right out into the lobby because it was right by me and actually watch them get pulled away. So I wasn't, it happened so quick that I didn't get the best photos, but I'm like, all right, I'm really glad I had this seat now because I almost was going to get, it was going to splurge a little bit and get closer seats. Uh, as cool as it is to be near the entrance, there is a reason sometimes that spot can be 80 bucks because if you're not directly front row, you're kind of screwed if you're a couple rows back because then if you're stuck behind somebody big or if they stand, you can't see shit. At least where I'm at, mm. I can always see even if somebody's in front of me because just like in a movie theater, there's that tears. Um, yeah. But those tickets went quickly and the only ones that remained were a couple of the near the entrance, which is cool, but I've been there. Now I'm like, I would have kicked myself if I would have missed out on being able to, to see that. So... Uh, a very wow. fun experience, and I am going to squeeze in one quick plus, just because we're on topic. Uh, Japanese legend pro wrestler Antonio Noki unfortunately passed away recently. Uh, he had been oh, dealing no. with bad health for a while. I'm not going to spend, uh, I'm not qualified, nor is there enough time to go over his legacy and his impact on Japanese wrestling and having, you know, being able to wrestle Muhammad Ali and just really taking into another stratosphere. I do recommend Post Wrestling, which is a terrific podcast. They are doing a bonus episode, which should be out by the time this episode airs, going over his career. And that should be a free episode. And then I believe you'll have to pay for this, but 
Dave Meltzer is one of the premier wrestling journalists. Whenever a wrestler passes away, he is just a fountain of knowledge and he'll, he'll sometimes go, it could be a little bit wordy, but he mm. will have a, an obituary that is just almost sometimes a book in and of itself. I can't remember if that's behind his paywall or not. Even if it is, it's worth it. But if it's not, and you're just curious about, you know, Antonio Noki, I'm sure he will have that within a week or two and it will go over that man's legacy, but definitely a big, a big loss to the wrestling industry. So I'd be mm. remiss if I didn't at least bring him up. Wait, so just to circle back, um, they won't let you in if you arrive so, after. So I think what I think what had really happened was all of the parking spots that weren't the reserve spots were probably just taken up this time, which is still, well, I did get stuck in traffic. So, but even then, the last time I got there right at 7 p.m. and there was still it was close, though, because they put me in a spot the last time where it technically wasn't a spot. But they said, hey, you can park there. And when I left, somebody put a I parked like an asshole sticker on my car. And I was just like, <laughs> oh. I was told to park like an asshole, sir. So I think they learned from that and just figured if you had already reserved, they're not going to give that spot away. Honestly, Got though, it. just with, I mean, I do it when I go to Phoenixville now. Once I'm in a spot enough times, I can learn the area pretty quickly. And after this one, when I go the next time they come, which if the track record's the same, will probably be March, April. Uh, I kind of know that if I just go a couple blocks down, because I don't mind walking the five, 10 minutes, especially now, because working from home, I've really gotten that culture shock of, yeah, I don't really get out as much as I used to. And I'm not as active as I was in prior jobs. So this is my way of saying, yeah, I need to exercise more. So sometimes oh, that gosh. extra five to 10 minute walk <laughs> is a good thing just to keep my blood going. Uh, so, cause I almost did this time cause the first time I had gotten that reserve spot in their, their area, but then it just, I ended up having to park on the street because it was just way too hard to get in so i wasted like the 20 bucks on the pre thing so i didn't want to do that last time and i almost thought why well, now i'm getting there this time so i could and at first i was like well now i'm kicking myself for not doing it but then i'm like well no because i just saved 20 bucks because i ended yeah. up just finding a spot where i could just park on the street because it is also near temple university so that also mm. plays into a big part of like everything's very college central which i think maybe worked in my favor too because where i parked out in front of was like a laundromat i think but, and I always get that, like, part of me is like, God, if I get a ticket, because it can be very expensive in Philly. But I'm like, no, I have the argument of there's a sign there that says free three-hour parking. And even if I go over, that parking is only till, like, 8 a.m. to 6 p.m. I parked there at 7.15. That's technically null and void. When I went on the little app, it even said, yeah, no, this doesn't apply to you. It's free. So suck my dick if that nice. would happen. But it didn't. So we're good. <laughs> there you go. Which I, I would not say like suck my dick to a judge, just because I know well, Jose's I a lawyer. I would not actually say that. Oh. I know that would screw my case, but uh, I do remember a defendant did grab his uh, summons for his next trial date. Was walking out and he told the judge, "Suck my dick," and the judge <laughs> oh leaned into the the lean uh, the female judge leaned into the microphone and said, "Denied." <laughs> That's great. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if people realize that when you're in a court of law. Even if you're in the right, if you, that's harassing a judge, you can get in trouble for that. I don't know why people don't yeah. think that's harassment, but yeah, it is. It's, it's called contempt. You can yeah, go contempt. to jail for it. Yeah, folks. you can 100%. <laughs> I've seen, there was a viral one years ago where the person was already going to jail. Then the person flipped him off. So he's like, all right, now you just got more time. What the fuck, dude? Yeah. Yeah. So. Think before you act. Yeah. Um, one last thing before we segue into the movie review proper. God knows there's been tangents, <laughs> but um, actually, you know what? My plus became a talk about diversity representation on film. Discussion. So I think it, I think it was a very healthy discussion, but um, so AEW, we obviously know about WWE. Mm -hmm. 
How many other big wrestling entertainment division things are there? So there are a lot of big ones. So I was talking about Antonio Inoki. He was uh, involved with New Japan Pro Wrestling, which is one of Japan's biggest ones. He also There's also AJPW, All Japan Pro Wrestling. Depending on how you argue it, there are really only two big competitors right now, and that being in the American states, and that being... WWE and now AEW, which is financed and run by Tony Khan, who comes from the Khan family. They also have a big playing field in Jacksonville Jaguars and all that shit. Um, but there's always been, I mean, he did just buy up Ring of Honor, which was always an indie company, so now he's running that as well. But if you really want to get into it, there's PWG, which is Pro Wrestling Gorilla. There is, there used to be Lucha Underground. I'm still sad that that's no more a thing. That was fun. There is, I believe Dragon Gate Pro Wrestling still does shows. MLW, Major League Wrestling, is an indie company. Uh, National Wrestling Alliance, Billy Corgan from Smashing Pumpkins runs that and was starting mm. to get somewhat of a buzz right before the pandemic, but then he was trying to do just YouTube stuff, but obviously not being able to run the shows. And then, if I'm being honest, because I was kind of getting into that, since that is based off of one of, up until WWF, was one of the biggest territories back in the territories days. So that name has always been there, but he was kind of, it became an indie central, still recognized, but almost became a territory again, which is kind of cool. But he was trying to get it back out there. But I think his other problem now is the people that he is pushing are people, wrestlers that people don't want to see being pushed, i.e. Tyrus. Uh. I don't think anybody really gives a shit about him. Maybe I'm wrong, but like he's pushing, in my opinion, he's pushing the people I don't want to see being pushed. And when there's so much wrestling out there and I'm just older, it's hard for, I mean, AEW, it's somewhat easier for me because I'll watch Dynamite every Wednesday, but they have a show on Friday night, Rampage, which every time I've gone, they'll record it after Dynamite. Um, and then it's an hour show on Friday, but it's just, even with DVRing it, it's, there's just so much time in my day that I, that one is never a priority viewing unless, and I actually left during the main event of this week's rampage just cause I wanted, I was like, ah, you know, I've seen these wrestlers perform before the match seems fine. He hinted that the one person coming out after the show is somebody I've seen live. I'm like, I can beat the traffic. I want to go home and go to bed. <laughs> By the time I get home, it'll be about one. So but yeah, so I would definitely um, say it's WWE and AEW. And AEW has been in the business now for, yeah, three years. So they started in 2019 and they started their television show, Dynamite, in October 2019. And then power to them because any other pro, uh, wrestling organization that would get hit by COVID where you have to do empty arena shows starting in March, like to be able to keep that fan base there because it's... I mean, I'm not even the, I can get into a wrestling match even if the crowd is dead, and I didn't take me too, too long to get used to empty arena shows, but I thought even though there was probably problems with it, it made sense to eventually put like enhancement talent, wrestlers that aren't in programs but are training out in the crowd, because it's fucking awkward if you're wrestling in front of nobody. Cause yeah, it, it's, I imagine. It, it just with any sports, that the audience is a big crowd and it makes it hard Absolutely. because that's how you judge if something's working or not because if the crowd is turning on it and booing it when they're supposed to be cheering it on it, or if it's supposed to get a response and you have a full crowd of thousands of people just sitting on their hands, that's how you learn without that. You, you can use the internet, but that's also very problematic because while everyone uses it, the ones that are making the big stinks online are, you know, your hardcore fans who I hate to say it, you don't necessarily need to be targeting because they're either a going to keep watching it or two, their their opinion might be a very vocal minority, but a small minority over what everyone else does. So, you know, it surprises me. I will go on Twitter sometimes, and um, a lot of these pro wrestlers are in. They're overseas doing this stuff, mm -hmm. 
And then eventually they come over here and they become like a, a, a huge star as well. So most wrestlers, if they can do it when you're doing indies, the big thing is, and it's it's one, it's very relatable in a way to stand up comedy where for a while you're going to be doing it at a loss because you just need to get the experience. You're going to be driving all throughout the country and getting maybe 20 bucks or even if you're getting a hundred or whatever, it doesn't meet the cost of all the gas and that, but you need that experience and getting your name out there when it comes yeah. to wrestling, especially over in Japan, it's very big in Japan as well, but it's always been a thing where you would go to – that would just be another territory you would go to. You would go overseas, whether it be Japan, Mexico, uh, maybe China, Russia. Some of those maybe not as much, but I'm blanking on one or the other. And it's Puerto Rico? I mean that's United States, but uh, there's another one I'm blanking on right now that was very big for a while, but it's – Anyway, but yeah, most of those wrestlers, like a lot of the ones in AEW, the big ones coming in, Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks – there, Kenny Omega's from Canada, Young Bucks were from California, but they really made their name, yes, on some of the indies here, such as Ring of Honor and Pro Wrestling Guerrilla, but they made their biggest impact over in Japan, uh, doing like DDT Pro Wrestling and then getting to their big leagues of like AJPW and New Japan Pro Wrestling. So, and that happens for a lot of guys. I mean, there are some wrestlers that when they were in the States, like back in the 90s, the, the big two that had like actual big financing behind it was WWF and WCW. And then there was ECW, which was always too big to be an indie, but too small to be big league. Really, it was just because Paul Heyman had a lot of money issues and I don't have enough time to discuss some of the things that sunk ECW, but that was still considered a third big one that people knew about. But you would have a guy in WCW like Scott Norton, who was like a mid-carder over here, like nobody thought was a big deal. Over in Japan, that motherfucker was very over and honestly i only knew him from wcw so when i was a kid he's like oh he's not good but when i got older and started tape trading so to speak and like watching stuff online and buying stuff i'm like dude scott norton kicked ass why wasn't this guy over like why didn't we get this when he was in wcw even though to degree we did some of it was my enjoying hoss men like bigger guys beating the other ones but but then there are people like vader who were big over here uh, especially in his wcw run but he was just as big if not bigger over in japan stan hansen's another one very big in the territories over here but he was just as big of a star if not bigger over in japan so they would go over mm. there and do tours because they'd get really big money because they sold houses there yeah not literally, um, by the way. Sold house, meaning they, they got people in right. the building. Just in case people were confused when I said that. Because there are a lot of pro wrestlers who turn to real estate once they do retire. So maybe they hmm. eventually sold houses there. I don't know. Like like Army Hammer. Yeah. Anyway. Oh, so one last So one last thing. One last thing. Um, and I'm sure this is a loaded question. But bear in mm -hmm. mind, it is just one last thing. Um, any tips for somebody who wants to dip their toes into beginning to follow pro wrestling what i would say is one do remember that even if wrestling seems overwhelming most storylines are simplistic in nature it's kind of like a comic book in that regard is yes they can get deeper the more you stick with it and you see characters grow and evolve but don't feel like you need to catch up on everything one of the nice things about aew for the most part is since they're relatively new i don't know about getting to because they don't have their shows Dynamite and Aaron Page streaming. So I don't know if, because I always DVR if I, if I miss them. I don't know if, if you go to Sling or whatever, if they have them up on demand. But you could probably find those episodes and then they only do like four to five pay-per-views a year. 
Um, the downside with them is they do lean heavily on Japanese wrestling and like indie wrestling because they know their hardcore fan base and they're slightly getting better with it. But I think sometimes they forget that yes, people can just look this stuff up, but again, people don't always have all the time in the world make a little video package for the wrestler if they're coming in and people don't know who they are. They probably should have done that, and they kind of did with Bandito, who I knew because of Ring of Honor, but a lot of people didn't. And he ended up winning the crowd over with his match with Chris Jericho. Um, but yeah, even if you go in, just kind of focus on what's going on now, and if you get obsessed with it, you can go backwards. Also, while I would normally say this is a weird way of doing it, it works with my friend to... I always say it was my fault that she got into wrestling and ended up training to be a wrestler because... Oh. Me and my friend would always like talk about it. And it's the second time I've done it where it's like, I've gotten better with not talking about it to people who don't care, but I get excited about it. So then they finally go, fine, maybe I'll sit down and watch this. And then first you're like, well, this is stupid. But then like it clicks what it is and people get invested in it. So what she started doing because WWE, now it's on Peacock, but they had the WWE network. So everything they've ever done is pretty much on there. So she would watch the new stuff, but then she would go back. But instead of going and saying, oh, I'm going to start at the beginning of, let's say, 2010 and go, she would go backwards, meaning she would watch uh, the end of 2010 and keep going back just to the pay-per-views because they're usually pretty good indicators of what's going on. You don't have to watch the main shows a lot of time. And I would think yeah. that's weird because a lot of times those pay-per-views, the feuds sometimes go over a couple. But for her, she said it was easier because if she just went backwards – she could still be introduced to new characters, but most of the time people on the top in the big programs were still people she had just saw. So, mm. but yeah, I would just say, don't get overwhelmed by it. Maybe try to find one thing that works for you and yeah, just kind of try to focus on what's happening. Now you can definitely go online. Uh, people do great write-ups. I mean, even on squared circles sometimes, which is a subreddit, uh, sometimes I'll post like, here's the thing to catch you up on this pay-per-view. Um, I mean, I still get it. I love, uh, from what I've seen, I love stardom, which is a women's wrestling organization over in Japan. But even that can be daunting because now it's like, oh, am I getting in too late? But then I remember I've been watching wrestling all my life. So it's not like, it's not hard for me to watch and realize that they're telling a story in the ring. So even if I don't always get the build up to it, if they're good enough, they can tell that story. So. Excellent. Very cool. All right. So we're segueing to our movie proper. Yes. We are reviewing Olivia Wilde's Don't Worry Darling. Uh, Justin, take it away. Yes. So I have a plot synopsis and I did not look this one up because I think I can sum this up in one sentence pretty easily. So here goes. A housewife begins to suspect there is something dark and sinister going on in her seemingly idyllic suburban neighborhood. Perfect. That's the best way i think to describe the movie like there's i i would say so i would absolutely say so um so it's directed by olivia wilde can you tell us a little bit about olivia uh, yes so Ms. olivia wilde, wilde it was interesting that you brought up uh, elizabeth banks earlier because olivia wilde is now another actress turned director this is her second film that she has directed the first being book smart which i loved and it's interesting to bring that up because as much as I do love Booksmart, it is very much, I mean, the easiest comparison was everybody's like, oh, it's just super bad with women because it followed the super bad formula very well, which already was just following teen sex comedies and coming of age movies regardless. But the idea of it being the last day of high school and you have two friends who are taking different paths and you're seeing one is like, maybe I don't want you to go this way and everything kind of blows up. But uh, you 
most stories are familiar, even if you are following a formula almost to a T, as long as you have characters and a flair that is your own, which I felt she had in Booksmart. I thought you had two wonderful performances and it was very funny. Uh, you can do very well. Uh, now, as for Olivia Wilde, most people will probably have known her as an actress. She had popped up in films such as Tron Legacy, Cowboys and Aliens. Uh, I still haven't seen it, but I know The Lazarus Effect uh, was one that kind of mm. got some decent buzz. She Blue was mouth. also in, in my opinion, a very, I don't like to say underrated, because if I don't like overrated, I don't like that word, but uh, a film that did bomb that I ended up thinking was surprisingly funny, that being The Incredible Burt Wonderstone, which oh, yes. I, I, I actually thought that was much more clever than I was expecting it to be. Um, <laughs> so, and, and her parents are journalists, too. Did you know that? I, that one I did not, actually. Somehow I did not yeah, realize that. They, they her, um, I believe her parents wrote a book called um, One Point Safe, which was about nuclear proliferation and nuclear bomb proliferation, proliferation, and how some of those bombs could be reduced to very small packages that could inflict lots of scary damage. And that book, uh, One Point Safe, was the basis for the film The Peacemaker with George okay. Clooney and Nicole Kidman. Um, but yeah, she. Which, uh, if I'm correct, wasn't that like the first big release from DreamWorks Studios? It, it was yes. live action. Correct. Yeah. 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 Um, so like her, her parents are award-winning journalists and, and, uh, very, very high up there. So she comes from good stock as they would say, <laughs> um, anyone else in the cast, do you want to, uh, want to spotlight or mention? Obviously the biggest one, Florence Pugh, who has been just doing phenomenal work. Midsummer being her really big breakout. She popped up in black widow, uh, the list goes on and on. She is wonderful, and she is the centerpiece in this film, and she handles it almost with ease. It's it, To me, it's always like I don't – having never actually acted before outside of being in a – being like an extra in a third-grade Christmas thing, uh, no. I can never <laughs> fully express like how acting would work. But I think for me, whenever I watch a movie, if an actor is making it seem easy, and I know, especially with a role like this, it is very hard to pull off. I get just so amazed by that because it's not an easy profession to do. And somebody who is this young, she's, I think, mid-20s, 26, 27, um, she is just kind of blasting onto the scene. Uh, the other big notable ones, Chris Pine, who I think, I'm trying to remember. So when I was visiting up in March and we saw movies like X and The Outfit and, and Regal Theaters, were they already promoting Don't Worry Darling? Because this was another one I know they've been promoting pretty much all summer. And the reason I ask is I remember you, me, and Randy got into a discussion about Chris Pine. And I do think there was some Amazon movie coming out. And Amazon does usually have promos before movies at Regal. So maybe it was just that. But I remember Randy, yeah. and he wasn't even trying to be mean like this guy sucks. He was just like, you know, has Chris Pine really done anything good? Because he gets that pretty boy stuff like Star Trek and carries. And then I said, well, he was great in Hell or High Water. And he even went, you know what? Yeah, you're right. He was actually really good yep. in that. And I yeah. do want to spot a Taylor like, Sheridan film, Taylor, which uh, such a wonderful film. And I actually yeah. will say before we get into the full review, I think he almost gets overshadowed sometimes by Florence Pugh, as most people do. Uh, but he holds his own in this. And I think probably out of what I've seen from him, probably a second best performance since Hell or High Water. He is really yeah. good as the basically cult leader. And then I think the other very big one is Harry Styles. And this is his first full like lead performance or co-lead. Uh, he did pop up in Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk, but that was a smaller role. 
Uh, he was not originally supposed to be in this role. Uh, I don't know if we're going to dive too heavily into the controversy surrounding the production, but I think we we can't overlook the fact that the role was originally for Shia LaBeouf. He actually was in early on in production. He was in there, yep. and apparently, from what I can gather, uh, he had issues with Florence Pugh and Olivia Wilde, and there's a, a video that Olivia Wilde had sent from her car to Shia, kind of like saying, oh, well, well, I can find a way to work with her. Um, I will say, considering the crux of this, and I am somebody who does think Shia LaBeouf is a good actor, if, if you are forced to get rid of one of those people, yeah, you keep Florence Pugh, especially in a film like this yeah. where it's, it hinges on her more than... than the, and I don't know if maybe they altered it a bit because Harry Styles... He's still a focal point, but he does kind of take the back seat. There's a reason for that, though, which also makes me wonder if that was always the case. I will say, though, there's a part where I could definitely see where Shia LaBeouf would have fit into this. But watching this movie, I'm like, Harry Styles is the perfect actor for this because the, the his role is supposed to just be this like loving husband who's kind of getting almost taken up in this company that he's working in and he has to be mysterious with. Nothing against Shia LaBeouf, but I don't know if I would have bought him in that role. It just would have been. Mm. Well, yeah, let's. Well, we'll say. Okay, that. so. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so before we get into that, um, I just wanted to say also uh, Kiki Lane is in this. Yes. She's a great actress. Um, she was uh, the old guard. She was in the old guard um, on Netflix. Um, Nick Kroll is in this. Doug oh, Smith is I in love it. Me, um, Nick Kroll. Yeah, these are all really, really great actors. Timothy Simmons. Um, who's mainly a voiceover person. People are going to remember him as, you know, uh, the role he had on Veep. He played um, Jonah, <laughs> who they were constantly making fun of and like uh, downgrading or what have you. Um, he plays the doctor. And then just a couple below the line people, Katie Silberman also wrote Book Smart, and she's credited with the screenplay here. She also wrote something called Isn't It Romantic, which... Um, it's the I know a lot of people don't particularly like her. Um, she's an Australian comedian. Rebel now Wilson. she's that's it. That's it. Rebel yeah. Wilson. She's blanking on it. Um, but basically, that story was about how she meets this guy and then she wakes up and she's stuck in a like a, a film rom com that is her life or whatever. It actually was very very funny. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of it um i think a lot of people just had rebel wilson overload and probably missed it but it's one one worth it to look into i will be honest i don't mind rebel wilson but at that point there was that overload and it was a shame because i heard even from the, what i saw in the trailers i'm like oh this seems like a very cute and clever almost parody of romantic comedies and it was i actually still planned on watching it was just again things yeah. fall through the cracks anyway Extremely well done, very well written. There's also a story by credit from for Carrie Van Dyke and Shane Van Dyke. They are also producers on this. And I will also note that there is a notable producer on here, Catherine Hardwick. She who uh, not only was an art director on um, Tank Girl, but she ended up directing Twilight, directing the movie 13. Um, she also has a new movie coming out soon as well. Uh, two other people I want to spotlight, Ariane Phillips. She is a noted Hollywood stylist, even styled Madonna for quite some time. We're talking about her tours as well as a lot of the press for her albums. Um, so Ariane is, she is very, very gifted, has an amazing eye. The costumes in this are absolutely brilliant. Couldn't take my eyes off of them. And then I wanted to spotlight the cinematography by Matthew Libatique. 
um, himself being a Filipino. Yay, Filipino represent. And um, uh, he probably came to fame. I mean, he is known as basically uh, a comic book DP. So he has done Iron Man, Iron Man 2. I will actually credit him with, um, because Iron Man was so successful and was, um, I think it was the first movie of the MC, MCU. Um, but Matthew's photography had had become has become the template for almost every other MCU. So there is his photography for Iron Man and Iron Man Two. It just filtered into all the other ones. But he also was the DP for Cowboys and Aliens. Um, also did uh, Birds of Prey, the fantastic mm-hmm. Birds of Prey, uh, the Emancipation of Har- of one Harley Quinn. Um, that movie, the way it's shot, absolutely brilliant. But Matthew has also had a very fruitful relationship with director Darren Aronofsky, becoming known mainly for and awards nominated for uh, Requiem for a Dream. He also shot The Fountain, which is uh, definitely one of those polarized movies. You either love it or you hate it. Um, Also shot Black Swan, one of my all-time favorite movies. And then apparently he has been burning up the circuit with... Aronofsky's new film, The Whale, starring Brendan Fraser, which has gotten a lot of buzz, a lot of buzz. I am very Os- excited to see that film. Yeah. Oscar nominated again for his photography for A Star is Born with Lady Gaga and um, Bradley Cooper. And I also want to point out, not a lot of people saw this, but there was a modern remake of um, Native Son that he shot that is just absolutely incredible. That stars... Ashton um, Sanders, Margaret Qualley, Nick Robinson. It was directed by Rashid Johnson. I think it was an HBO direct movie, but um, you know, if you are familiar with the source material, Native Son, the the novel, um, check that one out. It is it is it's pretty brilliant. So, um, all right, uh, there are Justin, two other you, people you, that I wanted to bring up, and you might have mentioned yeah, them quickly. Go but for it. I just want to make sure. Uh, I believe I'm pronouncing this right. Gemma Chan. Yes. She's most notable for big roles in Eternals and Crazy Rich Asians. Uh, she is in this, and I think she uh, has a very – and she was also in Captain Marvel. She has a very yep. good Yay. commanding <laughs> uh, screen presence that really does work here in a role that could yeah. easily be thankless as she is basically – she is Chris Pine's uh, wife. So – but they, they play around with that, and I thought she did a really good job. Also, uh, Sydney Chandler. Uh, she doesn't have a big role in here. She just plays uh, Violet, who is the – well, we see it, one of the new uh, couples that come to. The reason I'm bringing this up was when I was watching, I was like, I feel like I've seen her in something, and I have not. She This is only like I think her sixth credit. Uh, she has popped up in a miniseries called Pistol, which I think I've heard about. But I'm bringing her up because she is the daughter of Kyle Chandler, who I absolutely love. Yes. Um, I think most notably lately. I mean, big films like Super 8 and the, the Godzilla films he's popped up in. Uh, he was also really good in like First Man. Uh, I love him both as an actor, but I also think he's incredibly dreamy. So for me, I was like, oh, shit, that's oh cool. He has a daughter and she's – so uh, that is somewhat of an anchor swirl. But I thought she uh, she had a cute quality that worked for that role. And I'm very curious to see uh, where she goes from here. And I am curious to maybe check out Pistol. Yeah, ditto on the crush on Kyle Chandler. I remember watching him on an ABC television show called Homefront, as well as um, First Edition. He was the star of that. He's also um, on he, uh, the Friday Night Lights show, right? I never watched yes, the show, but that's he was I the think coach, his biggest Friday Night Lights. fame to claim probably because that's a huge success. 
Absolutely. Absolutely. He has, uh, I will say he has gained some weight, but it has not diminished no, his sexiness in uh, any no, way I think whatsoever. It's to it. I, I kind of like so. It. Yeah, I, I'm I'm right there with you. So, um, actually, you introed. So I guess I start. Yeah. Did you want to? <laughs> I mean, I, I can go because I because what go I was it. gonna. Yeah, I'll go just because. I, the other reason that I brought up the fact that her Willie the Wild's first film, also she does act in this as well. Uh, mm-hmm. The reason I brought that Booksmart being kind of like super bad is because it's very easy to make that quick comparison with Don't Worry Darling. Because when I saw the trailers and even during watching this film, I'm sure you thought the same thing. I'm like, okay, Stepford Wives. It very yeah. much follows a very similar. And I finally saw that one. I never saw the remake from 2004, but the one from the 70s f- follows a very similar format couple moves to an idyllic neighborhood, but the wife who is basically being told to just stay in the house, you know, be the housewife, let the husband do what he's doing. She starts to sense something is wrong and they take different approaches once it's revealed, but there's very much similar, even the, the scene with Florence Pugh, which is in the trailer, crushing the egg that happens to not be an egg. It's just a prop. There's something similar like that in the, in Stepper Wives. Now where they differ is Stepford Wise was much more, and it worked in its favor, but it very much was almost more straightforward drama. Uh, it was it had a very creepy undertone to it, but it didn't play its hand until it needed to, as to where Don't Worry Darling gets very experimental. Uh, once Pew starts having these beliefs that something is wrong in the neighborhood because she sees one of their neighbors basically call out Chris Pine uh, during one of his rally speeches at a party. She starts to notice, wait a minute, I don't think this person's just mentally ill. Something's up. And then, of course, everyone starts to gaslight Pew into thinking she's mentally ill. So a lot of the weird, trippy visuals that you see in the trailers, such as uh, the creepy ballerinas, to go back to Black Swan, (laughs) these are all played out uh, cleverly, I might add, as nightmares that she's having or these weird, even the stuff like when she's getting, which freaks me out because it gets to my claustrophobia where she's cleaning the window and like it's closing in on her. That's a legit fear of mine. Um, it's still played off as she might be going insane. And if not, well, what's happening specifically? So those are where the two differ. So I think this lets it stand out. I do know for a lot of people, even without having knowledge of step for wives doing the very fifties, uh, idea like I mean it's funny that the the Van Dykes who they do have a relation to Dick Van Dyke are also involved with mm-hmm. this because you kind of think of like oh Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke the fifties you know sitcom and I think that works in this film's favor just like it did with uh, Stepford Wives, um, but that idea has been done to death like I, there was a meme going around like man here's an idea for a movie guys it's ra- it's radical what if somebody's in an idyllic suburban neighborhood but something is going on underneath. <laughs> It's something that's always been touched upon, but I think the reason it's there, one, I can't speak to Olivia Wilde, but I know Stephen King does that a lot. He loves to peel back the layers of what happens specifically in 50s, 60s, and 70s suburbia because it is interesting. I mean, I'm reading my best friend's exorcism right now in in preparation for the film, and that's a very tongue-in-cheek book, but that still plays with those themes of you have the parents that are very religious and kind of restrictive, and it's like on the surface, everything seems great, but there might be something going on underneath, and that's those feelings of repression are very well known and in our society have been blowing up over the past couple of decades downside is i think it's almost becoming old hat at this point however i don't actually think it was much of an issue up to a point so it's going to be very interesting to split our discussions for this because if you were to just go with the spoiler free section it actually sounds like i liked the film 
And I am somebody who believes in the, it's not about the destination, but the journey. But I also have to eat crow and say there are films, uh, and Mike Shyamalan's films are like this a lot, where the destination is so vital to the journey that if that destination point, that twist comes and it falls flat, it does kind of hurt my enjoyment of the rest of the film. And I think in particular for this I wasn't fully engaged with the movie outside of Pew's performance because it was so familiar. And while I liked the fact that Olivia Wilde was shooting for the the fences with her visuals, it did come off as almost too aggressive. I hate to do the film school student, but there were cases here where it's, it is somebody's second film. And it's the reason that criticism gets thrown is if you take any type of video production classes, it's not really about when you're getting graded about the story you're telling, which is so crucial to film. You are getting graded of you need to learn all of the film techniques and all the how to use a camera and use Dolly in that. So sometimes... It's not a matter of if you implement it into your story well, it's just show me that you can do it well, even if it's divorced from that. And the problem is when you get movies like this, where even though it plays into it, there was a part of me that just thought, I don't know, it just felt too on the nose at times for me, especially with like Olivia Wilde and Nick Kroll play a couple that are very much chewing the scenery with what is expected of these 50s suburbanites, like making jokes about... Uh, you know, being at the parties and being drunk and, you know, Nick Kroll's definitely a misogynist, but oh, you just let him do that. And it's not a knock against their performances because I know uh, Olivia Wilde gets more of a role than Kroll and it makes sense because this is all about just like Stepper Wise. It's about the wives being repressed. So you're going to see them more. Uh, but I was thinking of it for a bit. I was like, is Olivia Wilde going too heavy? But then I realized, well, no, what's the point? Like, am I, it's not detracting too much from me and it is adding. And then once you get to the reveal, it makes sense why she's being so over the top to a degree with her performance. Yeah. But I just couldn't shake, even though I, I was engaged with Pew's performance and what they were doing, I could not, and I hate that I can't, but I could not shake the, this just makes me want to watch Stepford Wives again. Or honestly, kind of makes me want to see what that remake was like, which I think, from what I've gathered, leaned into the comedy more uh, because yes. that threw people. Unfortunately, off. yes. <laughs> but yes. Um, so yeah, it's not, and I wouldn't even say it has enough of a flavor that I think it would have been a disservice if they just called this the Stepford Wives because it it goes in directions, especially with its twists that are without getting it or more akin to uh, more contemporary television shows, I would say than mm. how Stepford wives went. Um, yeah. But I will say this since we, and I loved Pew's performance. I thought she was absolutely marvelous. And I thought in the case of Harry Styles, I think it worked that she overshadowed him. Cause I think that that's 100% the point of Harry Styles is that he's almost not meek, but he's this very well-intentioned husband who is getting a, sucked up by the corporation like he's getting the promotion and he starts to lose his way because he's so desperate on i want to give us this paradise that he's ignoring his wife and you know what she actually wants so i feel him being overshadowed for a while is perfect and i guess maybe it's just for me as like i don't know if i would see shia labeouf as being overshadowed because he has such a unique personality to him regardless i, I think it worked yeah. in the film's favor in the end run that you got somebody like harry styles also because of marketing i did see this on the opening thursday night at 7 p.m and it was pretty packed for in the main theater and it was a lot of giggling harry styles fangirls though Boo. surprisingly 
they did not giggle at very early on. There's a scene where Styles comes home and he just pushes uh, Pew down. They, they get it got get hot and heavy, as it were, and he starts eating her out while they're on the table. And it's not too yes. graphic how they show it, but I'm like, oh my god, these girls are gonna go crazy for whatever reason. They were just silent during that. Maybe they were all struck and in doing it. But I'm like, I thought that's when you would have been giggling the most. Yeah. Uh, though there was definitely a spot later on that we'll get to that they. Not just them, I and everyone else did giggle at, and I don't think we were supposed to. No. Nope. Um, but, but as its own, the build is fine, and you have a great performance by Pew, but outside of Styles, where I think it made sense for Overshadow, I've seen some criticisms. I brought it up with Pearl that people were like, well, did Mia Goss performance overshadow everyone else? I didn't think in that film because that was a character study and everything benefited her. And while you can make the same argument with Florence Pugh's character in this film, I do feel like there still needed to be a little bit, not even maybe so much from the other wise, but I think the more I get away from this film, I wish there was more antagonizing sequences between her and Chris Pine. Because by the mm. time they reveal that and they had that great dinner scene where she is challenging him and he's kind of playing into it, but he's very methodical and clever on how he's going to use everything against her. That's a great scene, but you don't get enough of that because by the time she figures out what's going on, it's almost too late to have those scenes. And I think that's a mistake because I think there's a lot of this hinges also on pine as this basically cult leader. And I feel like just maybe one or two more scenes of those two really antagonizing each other would have gone a long way and maybe making some of the twist feel better for me, but also adding better tension. Cause it almost feels like, we were in a rush to get to the third act, which was weird because it was moving at a good leisurely pace, letting you get comfortable with uh, the Victory Project. I, I don't know if they just call I think that's the name of the town as well, not just just Victory. Uh, yeah. You get comfortable with that scenario. She does a really great job, the set designers do, of matching the feel of a 50s sitcom, basically. Stuff like Bewitched and I Dream a Genie always comes to mind for me because those are the ones that I liked watching on Nick at Night. Um, <laughs> I, you know, Mary Tyler Moore and Dick Van Dyke as a kid just didn't we speak to me, but you throw in fucking magic. Oh, hell yeah, I'm on board. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but it's a close call for me. And if, if the twist would have been better executed, I think I would have been a soft watch. But I don't feel everything comes together. And I feel it's a missed opportunity. I'm going to open by saying that this is for me, it's a soft watch. Okay. Um, I was and close you're right. To it. It, and you're right. It could, it, it really could go either way. And, um, I, th uh, again, this film, the ending is, I think what's going to do it for most people that mm -hmm. they're either going to fall on the side of go ahead and watch it. Or they're going to say, I didn't like the ending. And it's one of those polarizing things. Right. I think even some of our friends are saying, uh, the ending, quote unquote, shit the bed, right? Um, I did not feel that the ending shit the bed. Um, did I maybe roll my eyes at it? Yes, I think I did. Um, when when you get to that final reveal about what actually is happening, um, I, you know, I might have rolled my eyes a little bit, but it, I think that it worked. And the way, the way that it is presented to the viewer, because it there's even still an, I, I will just say this, there's even still an ambiguous ending mm -hmm. um, here, uh, uh, akin to like, you know, those French films where it's sort of like, you know, 
they the car stops at the intersection and it's like where are they going to go are they going to go that way or are they going to go towards that or whatever um and i think that there is a danger in again seeing the trailer and having too much knowledge mm-hmm. um I I purposely tried to once I saw the trailer with you because I think you're right I think this this was sort of when you came to visit in March or so uh, that they were sort of promoting this already yeah and um, I think there is a danger to uh, having your openness spoiled by the trailer it's why I avoid I try to avoid mm-hmm. the trailers as I can because as much as I can because I think that. If viewers were to have gone into this not having seen the trailer, not knowing what was going on, that there is a there is a tantalizing sort of like we're playing with you, like what what is really going on under the surface, right? Are they, you know, are they being hypnotized? Is there something in their food? Like what what's happening? And when when the lead character starts to see these things going on the cracks under the surface and starts to ask the questions and break the rules and go the places where she wasn't supposed to like what is really happening i think that that's an it's an interesting journey and had the trailer not worn that welcome out i think a lot of viewers uh like yourself would have would have been more into it versus a I have seen this before. Okay, they're going here now. And oh, here's the idyllic, you know, family and house and setting. And here's all the little weird things that are going on. I, I think a lot of audiences would have warmed to that a Maybe. little bit more and not have been spoiled by Though the trailer. I also wonder if, because I actually think even the second trailer, which is played more times now, that really shows the weirder moments of her wrapping herself with Saran Rapinette. I still think both trailers did a good job of tantalizing without spoiling anything because you go in going well what's happening and i feel my issues and some of the other people's issues of it being familiar would have been there regardless if i went in cold oh yeah actually i think it helped that i knew going in because i kind of checked myself a little bit better knowing okay this is what she's going for but i also wonder because i've seen some people who i've talked to and i've worked with in the past that don't really do too many movies but they were interested in this because they're not really familiar with Stepford Wives or or so many of the plots that have surfaced around the idyllic neighborhoods. But all that trippy imagery, which really doesn't spoil anything when you get there, um, yeah. that made them go, this looks wild. I'm actually curious. And there's a part of me that wonders that they didn't show a lot of that in the second trailer and just kept that first one where it's, you know, do, do, you know, here's this sitcom and then that kind of like needle drop of, wait, shit's going down. Come find yeah. out, which I prefer. But I wonder if that would have just made those people go, eh, as opposed to that second one going, ooh. But I see where you're also coming from of it does hurt because a lot of the first and partially even that second act, like let's say the first hour, you're seeing the beats that you've already seen in the trailer. They're fleshed out and better, but you can kind of get restless because you've seen them in the trailer. So I do think you're onto something a bit there. I do think they showed their hand a little bit too much in that second trailer. Well, I'm, I mean... Again, I'm <clears throat> please don't listeners take this as a high pat myself on the back because I caught it. But, you know, Justin, you mentioned that 
Olivia Wilde, it's her second movie. She's learning the techniques. Mm -hmm. And there are some techniques here. When we talk about a visual narrative and we talk about, you know, hints to the viewer about what actually is happening, there is a moment that I caught that sort of tipped her hand to everything. I think so again, I know what you're it, referring it, to as well. Yeah, I'll get to that in the spoiler section. And again, it's not me being like, oh, I'm so smart. I got I caught it. But um, but once I saw that, I was like, okay, I think I know where we're going with this. Um, now I will say this. Yes, it is I think it's easy to to do Stepford Wives because it's there, right? Mm -hmm. But for me, I felt more of an akin to Polanski's repulsion. Okay. And I see that. Um and Guadagnino's Re remake, reboot, revision of Suspiria. Mm -hmm. um, because, again, I think that there, there's, you know, there's a lot that's going on here that makes you think like, okay, is she going crazy? Or, again, we've got the dance elements, we have the discordant music, the huh, huh, like the breathing and the weirdness, you know. That, that did not come off as breathing when you did it, I just want to say. Oh, I'm so, so sorry. That's okay. I I, just... Maybe it was like the, the Harry Styles eating out scene, which, yes. by the way, I was like, why make dinner when you can eat out? That was yeah. my joke when <laughs> I was watching that scene. Um, okay. Because, you know, she gets on the table and she starts like pushing all the stuff away. Which anyway. then, of course, I'm going like, first I'm like, like, look, I know you can wash the table, but that's unsanitary. And then I'm like, and you're making a mess. But you also get... Oh, my dinner. God, you ruined dinner. That pie roast looked great. And then, like, anyway. There's a couch um, right over there. That's more comfortable. <laughs> yes. Yes. But, uh, but yeah, I felt more repulsion. I felt more Suspiria. Mm -hmm. And what I, what I did like about the story was that, you know they get to this idyllic community everything is set up they're they're they don't want for anything pine has set everything up and yet and yet there is the there is this weird messaging that he gives to everybody of you know hey we're going to change the world we're going to do what we're supposed to do but you all should stay in your lane, mm -hmm. right? Don't ask the questions. And and we're here for, quote unquote, the mission. But, you know, just know your place. And, and just know, you know, be happy, right? He is terrific at that, too. He is terrific. What makes that work is if you were divorced from the situation, you were like, well, why wouldn't you notice this? But he, like many cult leaders and a lot of very outgoing uh, personalities – they can convince you by telling you don't question anything that they're still giving you free choice. It's that, Hey, you exactly. can go if you want to, and they can position it where they're make, they're gaslighting you and gaslighting everyone else. But they're also telling you like he does that so many times you can leave if you want to, but then he'll find a way to make you doubt yourself and like, but do you really want to leave or, and he does it right. so well at that, that dinner scene with, with Pew when she is finally, you know, cause he calls her out and says, yeah, I want you to challenge me. And but then he he knows that she is very emotional because she's finally learning all this right now. And he already knows about that. So he can use his cool, calm and collected mentality to make her seem like she's crazy, even if she's right, because anybody in any situation, uh, you get that hysterics. It's I mean, it's why a lot of times uh, firsthand accounts of any type of serious crime aren't always taken seriously, because if you're coming from shock, it's hard to always 
pinpoint remember what had actually happened. That always plays. So he knows that, and he is brilliantly using that against her and everyone else. Every fat rallying speech you watch, yeah, you can sit because you're not there, and you're like, ah, why would you fall for this? But I'm watching him and going, no, I get it. It also helps. He's just charming. I remember uh, I watched that movie Carriers that he's in. It was a post-apocalyptic movie with a friend years ago. We had made a joke because he plays an asshole in that movie. Like, he is a complete dirtbag to the one person. Yeah. And we had said, but like, but Chris Pine can, uh, you know, snap his fingers and just be very charming and handsome. And you're like, I get why people would still do this. Because I'm sitting here going, this guy's an asshole. I'm like, yeah, I'd probably still stick with him. Like, and he knows that and, and plays it so well. Oh, yeah. And, you know, I got to tell you, I think the reason why the trailers and then even if you haven't seen the trailers, if you do what I do with every M. Night Shyam- Shyamalan movie – Try to figure mm-hmm. out the twist, right? If you do that, you will come away from this unsatisfied, yeah. okay? Um, but I think the strength of the screenplay and the strength of Pine's performance is there is that like that that cult leader-esque, like what is happening? What sway does he really hold? And it's like that charming devil thing. Like you're pulled in, you can't take your eyes off of him. It's a great, strong performance. But then at the same time, it's like, what is really happening here? And um, again, I think the strength of the screenplay is that we are in a time right now. Although that this is all about like the 50s and the idyllicness of everything. Uh, and yet there are things that are happening under the surface you know, uh, and those secret things, as you said, it's been done over and over. Twin Peaks did that. Um, Blue Velvet, David Lynch, all of that stuff. I, GM, David Lynch's over has really been about mm-hmm. what is lurking under the surface that you're not seeing. Things may be ideal, but there's a demon underneath this angel, right? Um, so we've seen all of those things. And I, I think that what people are missing is if you try to out trick the screenplay or try to learn it, you're going to miss some of the strengths and what they're showing, what, what I got from this. And I, I know, you know, we don't always want to go into the political, but, but I this think one you kind of have to this one. You absolutely have to, because, because, um, you know, it, it's one of those things where, you know, the the 50s vibe that we're getting like there's a conservative movement now that wants to go back to those values that wants to keep women in their lane this is what you do you make the dinner you support the husband this isn't about you and there is a current political movement that's trying to move us back to that where women don't have a voice women can't break the rules women cannot be on the executive board and doing the work. And so I think, again, I, there's a, in a way, there's all of this PR craziness and stuff like that. And, ooh, the trailer, and let me try to outguess the, the story or whatever. In a way, we're all doing ourselves a disservice by missing the strong points of this story. Um, and that's why it's a soft, a soft watch for me, because even though if the ending doesn't stick the landing, Everything else that's there, I think it's current, it's contemporary, it's provocative, it makes you think. Um, and 
No. It's it's funny that you also mentioned Olivia Wilde because when when the trick of the screenplay is revealed, her character sort of projects an aha moment that that sort of signals to Florence Pugh, I don't want to escape whatever this is, right? Mm -hmm. I would rather, rather than reality, I would rather, right? And that that alone is a very uh, tantalizing or uh, interesting idea that I don't think even is is doesn't have the impact because by then when that sort of feeling comes, you're still only focused on the Florence Pugh character and what's going to happen to her. And is she going to, you know, be able to, to move on from whatever this is. So I did want to touch on that because I do definitely agree that I think, and I've gotten better with, I don't want to guess the ending just because at that point, like, are you going to go, oh, that's not how I would have done it. Like, you know, whatever, just let it wash over me. I think right. as I've been able to kind of chew on this more, I think there are strengths in the screenplay like you had mentioned. Though I think for some people, just like I said with some of the visuals, there is that if you get, even if it's a necessity, if you feel too on the nose with it and aren't subtle with some of the dialogue, that softens the blow for a lot of people. And when you are touching, like we said, on stuff that has been done before, it... it becomes an issue. I'm glad you brought this up because we can talk about it without spoiling, but there is that moment. I know exactly what you're talking about with a Olivia Wilde's character. And I think that's when I realized that the script while very smart in ways also has the problem of there's almost biting off too much. It can chew because with the twist and with some of the other characters and their reasonings, it's they're almost done a disservice because this is Pew's film. So whereas I didn't have that issue with uh, Pearl because Pearl was 100% just her movie. Everyone else existed in her world. This has so much more going on with its commentary on repression. And like I said, it's hard not to uh, talk politics because uh, Chris Pine's character is 100% based off of Jordan Peterson, who is a, uh, can, um, we'll say a Canadian politician is the best way of saying that without getting too heavy. But, uh, you, you know, he his a lot of Chris Pine's motives and reasonings are based off of his theories and what he's gone on talk shows and these pundits and spewing. So that all works. But I think once it gets to that twist, it's not even so much that I had a problem with the twist itself. I mean, realistically, I don't think the twist was the problem. I think some of the execution was. I think it's a matter of... It, one, for me, felt like once we got to that area, once things started to get revealed, it felt like we needed to rush for some reason, and I don't know why, because there's such a nice, slow, very interesting pace to the first hour or so, and then everything just goes crazy. And it kind of yeah. works since it mirrors everything falling apart now, but it also, you present so much stuff and nothing really got to stick for me, and it kind of, it just, it hurt some of the stuff earlier than two for me because I was, I was on board. Like I said, wasn't completely engrossed, but I liked the visuals. I liked how, and I, you are right. I think the Suspiria makes the most sense. I feel like she probably saw Guadagigno's film and, you know, and, and even uh, like I mentioned Black Swan, but how Aronofsky can be sometimes with his nightmarish imagery, saw that and let's place that in, which makes it completely different than obviously set for wise, but even a lot of other idyllic movies because David Lynch's Twin Peaks and Blue Velvet have this almost weird, uncomfortable like almost like an uncanny valley way of portraying how human beings act 
Yeah. Because it's not really a sci-fi bent. It's just, it's so beguiling is the best way to describe the the film in that series, which both I absolutely adore. So I feel like Mm. she's able to put enough of a stamp on her. There's a part of me that also thinks that, and I'm just trying to hypothesize, maybe if this was a film she would have done a little bit later, which you never know if you're going to be able to, so go for it. But where she was a little bit more refined, if it would have came off better, because Mm. there is definitely that still learning some of the ropes. But at the same time, I love the fact that she said, Hey, after book smart, if I am given the opportunity to direct again, I want to, you know, go for it. Yeah. I'm going to go as crazy. as I do. So there's also part of me. It's like, I don't want to denounce that. And I don't think I have seen a lot of reviews from main critics and just social media that are saying this is like a really big bomb, which I don't think financially it will be, but <clears throat> that it's a bomb in that, it's some of you said it's abomination. I'm like, I think that's harsh. I think that that 100% has to be because of the twist, which yes, we'll get to it. I don't think the execution is good, but even then I don't think it's an awful twist. I just think it rushes itself. Yeah. And I don't know. I'm not really getting that because I just think it's a missed opportunity, but it still had a lot of interesting things going for it. And I see this as a movie that it happens to a lot of films that are like this. People react negatively to it, but then, five to 10 years from now, you're going to have a lot of these same people coming around to it and saying, Oh wait, no, this is actually really good, which is why it's funny to do that hindsight on older films when it's very easy to get lost and not realize, Oh, we can say, Oh, Roger Ebert or so-and-so got it wrong or didn't, you know, get it at the time. Even if sometimes they mentioned they got it, but then it's like, well, yeah, but a lot of people did that. And five to 10 years later, whether it's because you're giving it more of an opportunity. I'd be curious to revisit this because with any film with a twist and this one, I don't think has the issue because I know what you're referring to at tipping your hand, but there are movies that sometimes it feels like they have the twist in mind first. And then I'm like, Oh, I want to revisit this now to make sure the twist actually made sense. Did they put in correct little Easter eggs and nuggets that made sense? Or is there something that contradicts the twist or goes, well, this twist only works if everything fell into place perfectly as opposed to falling into it. And this one does not have that whatsoever. Everything, again, to your point, maybe almost a little bit too too polished in that regard that uh, by trying to make sure everything made sense going into that twist, I didn't quite get how she was going to it, but I think, and I think most people can get what the twist is going to be. I just think it's how it is that caught me off guard a little bit. So I think that the word you and I are both looking for, and it's very appropriate here, is ambitious. Yes. So not only is this Wilde's second movie, but she's she's attempting a lot here. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I More power to her. Yeah, I will always commend filmmakers for doing that. Even if you fall flat on your face, I still prefer that than playing it safe. Exactly. I would would rather – and, you know, honestly, this is is part of what got me into reviewing movies or, you know, like not a bomb, championing something that Mm -hmm. ostensibly starts as like a bomb or critically is a failure is, you know, I'm – never going to tell an artist so you know film is like art directors are like art artists i'm never going to tell an artist you bit off more than you can chew and you're awful and it or, or your production is awful right i, I will tell them they bit somebody, off more than they should chew but i won't call them awful for it i'll just 
right. say that I feel like that was the case as it was here. But again, I also still prefer that's the only way you can learn. So, yeah, I mean, I would rather you swing for the fences and and fail and then be able as a critic to go back and say, this is what worked. This is what didn't work. But your vision is still solid enough that people should watch your movie, right? Because I think we get trapped too much into the whole, like, it's a stinker and they don't know what they're doing, screw it, and then, like, burning the house down, mm-hmm. right? I think that's, like, Twitter. Well, that's Twitter in a nutshell, actually. That's, um, that's just social media in a nutshell, really. Yeah, it, it, yeah, period. But she was ambitious, and I, I think she's going to be, like, a female Robert Eggers. I mm-hmm. think that this, this film is certainly heralding a growth in visual style and visual narrative. And that I just think she's, she's always going to pick incredible projects and I can't wait to see more. And um, I wanted so, to ask you this because I thought of this coming out of it. Do you, we mentioned not a bomb podcast. They bring up a lot. Do are some of these quote unquote bombs were people reviewing the production itself and like the big budget, like Waterworld had that more people were because they knew it was a trouble production. So they already went in criticizing that i do feel like we've kind of danced around it but there is a lot of controversy coming out of don't worry darling's production yeah whether or not some of that was intentional to drum up interest i do feel there are a lot of people that not all but i think there's a good fair amount of people that are reviewing that production well as opposed to the film itself because they had that preconceived notion in their mind that behind yeah. the scenes this was a mess, which is funny because there are also movies we find out after the fact were a mess behind the scenes, but you didn't notice it in the film. And I'll be honest, I never noticed it in the film here. Like it was, I never got any tension from anyone, which would still be weird. I mean, you'd have to really, unless you're intentionally putting that in, that's editing in a nutshell. It's like, it's not like if people were screaming at each other on a movie set, they didn't become professional and just record. Like you didn't see in Terminator Salvation. I wasn't sitting there going, you know, I bet Christian Bale is really, it looks like he's upset right now because of what's good. Like, no, that's not how that works at all. I think <clears throat> I can't think of a film, even the most troubled where it probably, maybe if you feel like, you know, going in that the performers had animosity with each other and they're supposed to have chemistry. But again, usually good actors and it happens nine times out of 10. You don't see that in their performance because they know how to act. And, yeah. and honestly, the only <laughs> time I can think of that is when you get actual couples who end up acting in a movie together and they can't translate that well to one screen chemistry because it's probably really hard to do that without just playing into what makes yourself have that chemistry. But so no, I didn't. Well, have, I mean, with, with all ahead. the, with all the PR going into this, um, I, I think that does a, it can do a disservice mm-hmm. to the movie, just like the trailer, because again, I I watched Harry Styles in a completely different manner in some ways. Um, and now given the twist, I see why Shia might have been maybe a little better uh, in yes. that role. But uh, he that but would, he would have one time that I thought that yes, I'm like, okay, now I see where he would have worked. But I think we talk about tipping the hand. There's a part of me that feels if Shia LaBeouf was in this, I would have suspected something much quicker than I did with Harry Styles. Well, so that's the that's the interesting thing. Like if Shia had played that particular character, um, I always bring this up, but 
you know, the movie What Lies, Robert Zemeckis's What Lies Beneath, right? Mm -hmm. Harrison Ford was brought onto that movie because there was a cachet that he brought that when people instantly looked at him, they thought a certain thing and it worked for the screenplay because there was a reveal, mm -hmm. right? And I think that Shia could have come into this and it's possible that that I would not have thought, you know, maybe there's something more to his character because remember he is, he's sort of coming back slowly. Mm -hmm. True. There was a time where he was really, really intense and, and maybe I would have thought, okay, well, Shia's taking a supporting role in this aspect because Florence Pugh, Olivia Wilde, Chris Pine, arguably are the, the leads of the story. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, and it might have worked and it might not have. I don't know. I think that I think that Styles did a very good I, job. I, I do think, and I get what you're getting at. And I think Shia LaBeouf is a very great. I mean, Honey Boy was great. And he I think he's always just been a really great talent. So there's also a part of me that's whenever you do this, you have to remember that even if a role is written, every actor is going to take to it differently. So Absolutely. I'm obviously just thinking of him doing what Styles did, where that's probably not what have happened. He would have had his own spin on it that would have made it work. But there's still that part of me that sits and wonders, and maybe we should transition here to spoilers, but without going into that, there's a part of me that wonders because, especially even without the comeback films like Honey Boy, he started to shed that even Steven's Transformers all shucks guy, and he was already starting to get very, like you said, intense. And I think that's more whether it's because of performances or unfortunately, again, to call in the production woes, people know Shia LaBeouf is being intense as a personality in general. I just, I, I wonder if I would have thought, if, I, if that would have unintentionally tipped a hand too easily. But I will say it would have made, it would have made a certain aspect of that twist 100% work better. <laughs> and yeah. do we want to so segue? I guess yeah, so for me, it's a it's a soft watch, um, just because of the well the script, which I think is well written. When you look back on it, how, even after the twist and the performances, and Pew just being great and Wild just like swinging for the fences. So yeah, it's a soft watch for yeah. me. And I will say it's okay. a soft skip, just because while it comes very close, once it hits a. A certain moment it almost feels like it's rushing itself and yeah. that just really kind of sunk it for me i think the first hour or so or even if not great are still intriguing and i think that also goes to today's mentality of it's either great or it sucks and it's like well now you can have it in between and i'm always yeah. going to champion a mo movie especially from somebody who it's their second film that is very inventive with its visuals and its approach. So it's a soft skip. There's a part of me that almost wants to change it just so it gets a little bit more love, but I'm still going to stick with soft skip and you'll find out more as we transition into the spoiler section. So if you have not seen, don't worry, darling, you may want to switch this off because you're going to start cupcake. worrying, darling, because you're going to get spoiled. That's a table cupcake joke. is about to word vomit and spoil the shizats out of this one. So in five, four, three, two, please turn it off. If you have not seen it, we are going spoiler free. Here we go. Justin, if somebody had told me I was watching a feminist version of The Matrix, I might not have gone to see this and I might have waited. I, I can see that. My actual notes 
even though it's a little bit too much on the nose, was this ended up feeling like a Black Mirror remake of the Stepford Wise because this, the twist was very much in the technophobic that most of Black Mirror represents, which yes. to be fair, not to spoil the twist of the first Stepford Wives, but that could also fit into a Black Mirror. But I think the approach is different because Black Mirror loves to explore that most episodes yeah. as opposed to Stepford Wise was more exploring just the human characters. Not that Black Mirror doesn't do well, that, but... Well, it's also like, you know, the works of um, I'm still getting into J.G. Ballard, but the works of J.G. Ballard, you know, he essentially was saying that, like, you know, at some point humans are going to merge with technology and then technology is going to ruin humans. And so, you know, what we come to find out with this twist is that the Harry Styles character in some ways has subjugated um, the object of his affection, Florence mm -hmm. Pugh, and placed her into a Matrix-type reality where she's hooked up to, like, machines and stuff, but he has, again, subjugated her into this vision because, as a man, not only is he deeply in love with her, but he does it under the guise of, I want you to be happy, mm -hmm. right? Um, and so he has plugged her into this sort of like virtual world where she doesn't have free will. Um, he can quote unquote keep her, you know? Um, and, uh, and he does it under the guise of her being happy. And, and when we come to can be successful because that is also a big part of in their real world. She was the quote unquote breadwinner because that, that's yes. what he's playing themes with. And he was the one who was, I'm assuming was like an unemployed, uh, it or somebody, because he seemed like he did a lot of the computers. Something. So I'm thinking he was probably either an IT or a software developer of some sort, and he was just yeah. struggling to find work. Uh, so it's playing with those themes of, yes, you can tell this guy probably genuinely cares for her, but there's a part of him, whether or not he's doing it intentionally, also feels like I need to be the winner and provide for. Her. And in his mind, he's doing it because he's seeing her stress. She's a doctor. So she's yeah. constantly working long hours and is exhausted and seems miserable. He can't understand that's still something she wanted. It's just sometimes when you get into these roles, that becomes that that's the for better or worse whenever it comes to any relationship in a marriage of you need to be there during their struggle. So he's thinking, well, if we switch roles and I let her be the one that gets to be home all the time and I go and work, she's going to be happy. Not realizing that you're taking away her free will to decide that. Exactly. And so that's, you know, that, that, I mean, obviously there's some sort of there, you can analogize a parallel to, um, at as extreme level in cells, right? Oh, 100%. Um, yeah. Or, you know, again, just this, this, uh, you know, fifties mentality. I mean, how many times when we have like political arguments about equality, parity, women, mm -hmm. women in the workforce, you know, there's, there are these conservatives that will say, you know, well, what about the, you know, the former values or this and that? And it's sort of like, you know, Hey, let's take us back to the fifties. Right. Mm -hmm. And so again, it's this, it's this, you know, uh, view that, you know, the male has to be the breadwinner, that the woman has her place. She's supposed to be barefoot and pregnant and in the kitchen and this and that. Um, and it's forcing that view onto a woman. Um, and I, I, I hear absolutely what you say about that rushed third act, because once the twist happens, there's so much that's thrown at us. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I don't, I, did you get the sense that, there was this, 
I don't know, society maybe has fallen into this dystopia or something. Yeah. And that there are there is this victory service that because you know, when she plugs in, there's like it says something like there's 75 other users. And so I guess the people in her vision are st- are the same people who have done the same thing. Yeah, so my understanding was everyone and it comes because Olivia Wilde when she's revealing to her in, you know, victory that yes, we're in a simulation. I chose to be here with my husband because I lost my children. Don't worry, the exactly. children are fake, but everyone else is seemingly real. So, she was more willing whether or not she was convinced uh under duress by Nick Kroll or if or maybe there's the idea that Nick Kroll didn't want to do this, but he's being forced in or that's just a fake person. But she did want this because she wanted to, and I, I can't help but automatically think of WandaVision because that played on themes too of making yes. up your own reality because you can't handle the fact that you lost something and how that can be a very dangerous thing. Right. Um, my issues come from one, I hate to say it, but the, I, so I didn't get the virtual reality twist. Like I did kind of play in my head, but I got to the spot where I was like, obviously they're not actually in the fifties. And this is a, not an, uh, a new trope by any means, but it's one without spoiling any recent films that is coming in vogue again. I would say it's funny we bring up M. Night Shyamalan. I think he unintentionally killed it with The Village, which I have no <laughs> issue spoiling because everyone knows that. Uh, yes. Because that's another yes. one that was built pretty well, but a lot of people just hated. Oh, it turns out they were actually in modern society. Not a new twist, but it kind of went away after that film got a bad reception. It's starting to come back now. I did like the idea of, like I said, of being Black Mirror. I was like, oh shit, it's virtual reality because I didn't see that part. I thought it would just be maybe he brainwashed her and abducted her and took her to this place that's in the desert or something that you know has just been converted. Yes. Um, maybe even though it would have been too simple, might have worked a little bit better because I hate to do digging and going. Well, what about this? What about that? But since it rushes so quickly, my first thought process, and maybe I missed something, and I almost wish I would have went back and, uh, and saw it again, is for my understanding, okay, so he kind of, he, he straps her into this virtual reality, which it doesn't help that all we see is their eyes being open, kind of like Clockwork Orange style. And for whatever yeah. reason, it just looked goofy instead of terror, terrifying. And I don't know why, because yeah. that idea in itself does freak me out. But I'm assuming it seemed like the way that he did it, that he didn't like take her to a building to do it. He just did it in their apartment. And my yes. first thought is, does nobody notice this doctor is missing then? Because I would 100% believe <laughs> if he did have to, like you still had to go to like some warehouse or anything like a cult would do, like to some area where, yes, they had this building and people go in, but they're still strapped in because they're not going to build the rest of it. And then you actually, just, you know what? Hmm. Maybe that's why I thought society was dystopian. Hmm. I don't think it's in their apartment. I think he had secreted her yeah, to which would make some sense. rundown place where nobody would look but for I, them. I, I that's like, why you see the graffiti yeah. and the, the worn down But buildings. I feel like since it moves so quick, it's easy to lose track of that. Because yeah. not only does this, this is where it really hurts me. Uh, there's another twist that comes in that just, I'm still trying to decide on what her, Olivia Wilde's message was with this, but it really just came off as another twist for the sake of a twist. So I mentioned Gemma Chan earlier, who does a very good job as Pine's wife to go back to that dinner scene. She's actually the one that ends up snapping and confronting Pune, like, how dare you insult me and my yeah. husband when we come into your home? That was great. Which was great. And it makes sense giving into the twist because as Pew is trying to escape, if she gets to the... Uh, 
basically the headquarters where everybody goes to work and where she found that it looked like a plane had crashed and nothing was there. That's basically almost like the out, kind of like with your Matrix thing. You can get there and you can like hit the button and you can get your, yank yourself out. So uh, Pine is calling up all of his, uh, his the people in this, Nick Kroll, uh, the, the doctor, pretty much everyone, go get her, don't let this happen. And then as he's starting to really fail, his wife just snaps and stabs him and says, I'm just going to take care of this, which I got to be like this, you know, where men fail is where women can succeed. But one, it's a weird message because that to me doesn't mean like, I feel like she was obviously in on the whole victory project as well. They were together and he was stumbling. She, she knew that this project would have either because he was more outgoing, but also to play into the idea of like, well, people are going to buy into him saying this more than me. But it just came off as let's have one more twist because it happens and it pretty much happens right before the credits roll because it ends with Hugh kind of getting to the headquarters. Then you hear her kind of say something. I think it was actually Don't Worry Darling and you get that ambiguous ending of did she make it out or not, which I was fine with. I like ambiguous endings. I thought it worked here. And there was just a part of me that's like regardless of what the message was, I feel that came way too late. It happens almost right before – And that was where I really felt like this is where the entire third act is failing for me because I feel like Wilde is almost throwing too much at the screen and we're not having enough time to digest it. So actually, this is this is why I love having a podcast like this where we're talking about movies that we can't readily go back and look over again Mm -hmm. because maybe we're going to miss stuff or what have you. Um, But. It's so. This isn't, hear me out on this. Mm-hmm. I think the reason why Gemma Chan's character stabs him is because I think whoever she is, she is like Florence Pugh. She has been subjugated into this into this virtual reality and she has awareness. Now, whether or not Gemma Chan's character has enough awareness to know that you can escape, she has enough awareness to know something's going on I don't like it, but I'm going to take the steps to end it. See, right? I didn't get the vibe that she was trying to end it, though, because the way that she said, oh, I'll do it, made me think that she was in on this. Even if she wasn't in on it from the start, she eventually accepted it, and she was like, I'm still fine with this. Now, granted, I guess you could make the argument that she is going to convert it to a better idealism, so she still wants the victory project, but she doesn't want it to be what it is now. But it did not come off to me like a savior thing. It just came off to me like, see, I didn't, I didn't think, I didn't think that her character was part of the victory project. I think she just had enough of Chris Pine's retardedness and just like killed which, him. Which is possible, but again, it's just that one line, and maybe I'm reading too much into it. Where, well, let me, I'll do it. Makes me think. Well, you have some awareness to say if I'll do it. Sounds like. Like, it felt like to me, she was the puppet master all along, and he was just the handsome puppet that she knew she could can convince everyone. And it just. Uh, well, and, I don't know. I think that's is, a twist too. That might be a twist too many. But. Which is true. And, and regardless of what, if it's that or not, it comes down to twist too many for me. I think it comes way too late. And it did get a round of applause from my crowd. So, again, I, you, mm. we brought up that people can take art in their own way. It's just regardless of what the intent was and maybe with more viewings, I might grow to appreciate it. But that's also a fair criticism of after a first time viewing, you should still feel like I should feel more curious about it as opposed to just feeling let down by it. And for me, yeah, no, I hear you. That was just that was like the, the tip of the iceberg of this last act is going way too quick. And it seems and actually 
this is this is the part where I was going to say, hear me out on it. Mm -hmm. um, Olivia Wilde's character. Mm -hmm. She is the subjugator. Yes, because she, you can, yeah, but even then though, I wonder, mm, but yeah. She so could... she, so she put, I think she put Nick Kroll. Yes, okay. Then we are agreeing. Gotcha. Yeah. So she put Nick Kroll in the Florence Pugh situation, yep. jacked him into the reality because all she wanted to do was stay at home and be with her kids. Mm -hmm. And so what's interesting about that twist is, and maybe it's not a, I, I know I just, I entered the spoiler section by saying it's a feminist matrix. Maybe they put that in there to say that, you know what? This isn't a feminist vision. Women can just be as subjugating mm -hmm. and intense and want to flip the script as men are. And um, but it didn't just occur to me. It didn't just occur to me until we were talking about this, that, that Olivia Wilde was the Harry Styles in her situation. Yes. And you know why I'm glad we're also doing this show? Because and it wasn't, honestly, even until we got to the discussions of Liz Banks' statements about feminism, which tied in perfectly to this, because I have a friend that the reason she didn't like Doctor Strange in the multiverse, and definitely to a lesser extent, WandaVision, was because it subjugated this idea that women just care about having children, that idyllic life, where I never took that, even though, especially with Multiverse of Madness, I feel like I can get that because it's, she has to play that role more. I didn't feel that at all with WandaVision. I think they're trying to say it's still fine to just want that. Not everyone has to be that. The problem in that they're tackling and Don't Worry Darling and that Banks is talking about is, and we had talked about with even bros, is forcing everyone then to be into that. Like it has to be this black and white, not shades of gray, because it's very, it's not, uh, a negative to a feminist movement to still have a woman who loved her children. And that's all she wants. Now that's not saying, Oh, you don't you know care about progress or whatever. It's not, it's disingenuous to say that it's not okay for somebody who was a mother. And it is a very personal thing to want yeah. to latch onto that. Cause if you lose that or lose what you wanted as your idealism, and that's also what WandaVision and even this film is playing into that, playing God essentially with your idealism is destructive to your mental state and everyone else around you. You have to understand yeah. that the world is shades of gray and you have to work with people and yourself to find your happy medium. And I had mentioned when you and I were, uh, I think briefly, or maybe it was somebody else, but well, no, I guess it wasn't this film. It's another film, but there's a part of me that wonders if, and I don't think this film fall into it. I still think there's enough shades of gray, but is this an instance where, and it's hard not to do it when you're doing any kind of a narrative because it has to fit into that. But by trying to be so shades of gray, you still ultimately end up painting it in black and white. I think yeah. she did a good enough job of not doing that. And that's because of how Olivia Wilde is. And yeah. I had thought you were going to say that she, uh, that she also was brought into this you know, not as a subjugator as like, she didn't know, but she grew to love it. So I'm glad that you did not think that. Cause I 100% got the idea that she probably either forced or convinced Kroll and Kroll just kind of took to it cause she was able to convince it. And I think it's far more interesting and works better if she learned about this, which is why I think I'm so torn on the Gemma Chan twist because there's also that part of me that thinks, well, maybe she was the subjugated, but like you're saying, and then maybe she came to an acceptance for it, but then was seeing as Pine was losing control. Well, I'll take care of it. Meaning 
they'll still be a victory project, but it's going to be in my vision. So she could still maybe not be in agreement yeah. with the victory project, but being like, fuck it. I actually think this is a good idea. You're just doing it terribly. I'm going to do it better. And it doesn't have to be women being repressed. Mm-hmm. It can be, and maybe it could be a, a heroic thing. Cause maybe it'll be everyone gets their idealism without hurting somebody else. I still think, I don't think you can pull that off. And there's an interesting story to be told. There's somebody who has better ideals, but falls under the weight of not always being able to do it. I mean, business owners in general, small business owners, how many of them have a great idea that, you know, is about helping your community and your fellow man and all that. But unfortunately, there are aspects of business that require you to treat it like a business, not a human. And that can contradict your message, even if it's not meant to. Yeah. But, you know, I I think, um, uh, again, I think it was just, I don't know. Maybe they threw that Chan twist in there just to, just to, I don't know, throw us off. But I really feel like, it, like the Matrix. It was like the battery, you know, mm-hmm. the batteries, the humans, you know, having awareness of of the Matrix itself. You know, do you also but, um, think that maybe she had plans to get a big? Because I think the other reason people cheered was because Pine is the antagonist. So you're like, shit, yeah, he's getting killed. Like, because you kind of want that. You want to see this manipulator get his comeuppance. But it wouldn't have really worked for Pew to get to do that because it would have slowed down her escape and everything. So maybe yeah. it was also just a quick, well, let's like Gemma Chan do it because she's getting frustrated, which again just well, makes it feel like it just kind of falls flat. There's also some interesting visual misdirection that the, that that Wild gives us. Mm-hmm. Um, so when there's the big rally speech with Pine he brings up Harry Styles onto the stage and he Styles ends up repeating this dance almost in a way where it's like, you know, it's kind of like, you know, dance monkey dance, you know, kind of thing. And, and the reason why that's sort of like a weird visual red herring is because, you know, pine is making him do that dance. Right. Mm -hmm. He's and and he, it was sort of like a, a celebration of how, you know, the victory mission and how the men were going to have, you know, this vision that they were going to bring forward. And, and yet Styles just continues to keep doing this dance, doing this dance, doing this dance, almost as if Pine is controlling him. But then when we get to the twist, we realize it's Styles who's controlling Pew in a way and putting her into this virtual reality. And so to go back, well, two things. One, um, there is a flash insert of in the beginning of the movie and I saw it quick enough. I think some viewers might've missed it. I don't know. I saw it quick enough where it's uh, it's Florence Pugh laying down and there's like a white sheet almost. Mm-hmm. And so when I saw that, I was like, Oh, okay. This is all in her mind. And she has been, uh, you know, marginalized or she's on a table somewhere. And so that, when I say that I saw something that tipped my tip their hand, I saw that insert shot and so, I was like, okay. What's funny is it wasn't quite that that did it for me. Even the the bath scene, it kind of made me think it, but I also thought, well, she's just going insane. It makes sense that she's staring at herself. What I thought and it was clever was in, in between those nightmare sequences with the dancers and that, there would be these like quick shots of like blood splatter almost. It's like an ink blot yes. with blood. And for me, there was a part that I'm not saying I co- completely knew, but at that part I was like, 
I wonder if there's something, if it's not virtual reality. And I, especially once they, because even before the final twist, it does start showing her in styles before getting to victory. So you see that she used to be a doctor and all that and they had problems, but it doesn't spoil the, the virtual reality part yet because you could think, oh, they're just abducting. So I think when I was seeing those and then that, I was like, oh, I wonder if he's like drugged her. And that's what that is. Not yeah. realizing it was that. So it's interesting that I thought we were so close with what tipped us both off. I will say, though, since I'm bringing it back, the moment that caused the entire theater, not just the giggling fangirls, but me and all the adults that were in it to laugh was. So when you first see Styles as the, the, the former incel, he still kind of looks like Styles. Yeah, he's sitting at the computer, but he's not too bad. He looks generic, whatever. But then to show his like downfall into depression and all that, he has this really dirty gruff look this scraggly beard and all that and it's 100% I'm like oh I can easily see Shia LaBeouf in that and you wouldn't laugh at it because I'm like oh yeah we've seen him do that and it's fine it was such a shock that even I'm like we're not supposed to be laughing at this moment that's supposed to be the big reveal and we all just started laughing because I'm like he looks too goofy and this does not look (laughs) and honestly the more I think about it I don't even think we needed that we already got like the assumption that he was slowly falling apart he could have had a little bit of stubble and still been fine and conveyed that and yeah. I think that was a weird stylistic choice to do because it really sucked the tension out of a, out of the twist. And I think that might be as, as terrible as to say, Oh, this one moment where he's put into like weird costuming could hurt it. But I'm like, man, when that's your crucial moment and we're all laughing instead of being drawn in, <laughs> it did really hurt me. Cause I'm like, I, I, but then I thought like, cause I remember when Shia LaBeouf was supposed to be in, I thought, well, maybe he was supposed to play either Chris Pine's role. Cause I could see him doing that. Or maybe yeah. Nick Kroll's, but Nick Kroll has a very supporting, like he's not in it too much. You just see him every now and then. So I'm like, I don't know if well, Shia LaBeouf would have had that. So when they said he was supposed to be the scene. styles, I thought, I don't know if I would have saw him in that. But then when we got to the twist, I'm like, okay, he definitely would have been great with the twist portion of this. Well, there's that scene where he loses it on her and he's like, I just wanted you to be happy. I can really no, see Shia see letting that, that go. Absolutely Once, I still thought go. Styles was definitely fine. I think it was best casting to put him in it. But when it got to the heavier stuff, I'm like, okay, yeah, Shia LaBeouf could have easily pulled this off. And I could see why she probably wanted him or had him originally in that role because he could he could make that work. And I still think he probably could have made everything else work. I just, again, I'm also- I don't, Mm, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't think that Harry was entirely successful in the big moments when he needed to yes, deliver I agree it. With that. But I don't think he was a complete failure. No, I either, thought he had so. a good screen presence, and I think any uh, this being his like what second big role, I think any yeah. naivety that he has and inexperience worked with the character that he was playing. So yeah. instead of it being a drawback, it's that idea of. You don't highlight you highlight someone's strengths and hide their weaknesses. I think Wilde did that perfectly with him in this, and I can easily say I think he'll have a a, a good acting career. It's I oh, know, yeah. I will say this. I, I want to say well, I didn't think of Harry Styles at all during this, but he's he's also someone where I know of One Direction and I have a vision of what they are in my head. But it's not they're not people I'm familiar enough with. Where when I see them, like let's go back to Ned Kelly, where if I see Mick Jagger, I know it's Mick Jagger. I don't have that relationship with the Styles, so or any of the other people like your Jonas and that. So it's easier for me to see uh, those musicians in these roles and me to kind of separate because I don't have that instant connection. But I still think I'll give Styles credit because I at least recognize when a Jonas Brothers is in a movie, 
Yeah. I kind of, I did forget that this was Harry Styles. Like I just bought him yeah. as this, you know. So take that as what you will. Maybe it's a little less familiarity with One Direction. I or maybe it's also him coming into his own. But I thought he did fine, rough around the edges. But I think Wild used him correctly, which is even more complimentary because this is already coming after LaBeouf leaving and all this troubling. So it's easier for her to stumble in that regard. And if anything, she she came through strongly. So. Well, I liken Styles in this and and my reaction to him a little bit like watching uh, Lindsay Lohan try to break away from like her Disney roles, right? Mm-hmm. So when he's like when he's like banging her and eating her out, there was a little bit of a like, my Harry, <laughs> my, my Harry is well, no, is, no, it was Pew's Harry having sex on eating. screen. I'm what? sorry, that was really terrible. I said it was Pew's <laughs> Harry he was eating, which is a really terrible joke. My apologies, <laughs> but it's staying in the show. Um, but but it was it's sort of like you know watching Lindsay and I know who killed me or um you know the canyons it's sort of like oh my god my my freaky Friday Lindsay is is doing sex um so I kind of had a little bit of that but but he really pulled it off and and I also had another I had a like uh, John Travolta Pulp Fiction sort of like feel when he started dancing I was like of course you're gonna have Harry dance okay. <laughs> Got it. Just like, just like, oh, here we go. John Travolta is going to start dancing, just like we remember. Um, but uh, yeah, that that uh, that ending, the twist was a little rough, and then even just the the straight switch to her being a doctor and then walking back to her apartment, I almost got like a barbarian kind of like, mm-hmm. okay, where are we now, right? Yeah. And then I'm like, wait a minute, we've spent so much time in the 1950s. How much longer are we going to be here? And that's why all of that did feel definitely a a little rushed. And another thing for me, too, is once we get that reveal of the twist, they have a moment where she almost pulled what I would consider a Hitchcock suspense, where they end up basically bringing her back. Like they send her to the mental institution. So we kind of know the twist, but now we're like, oh, she's forgotten it. So now that's where the suspense is coming from. And yeah. that's where it really faltered for me because we barely get that. Like you get the moments where she's coming back and she's talking to Wild and that. And then it's just like she starts having the conversation with Harry and it just comes back to her. And that's where the big blow up comes and the really final twist. And I'm like, you didn't even let us get comfortable with this idea because that could have worked. Like this idea that, oh, shit, we kind of know what's going on now. But now she forgets again. You know, you that bomb under the table thing of like, when does she find out again? And it just, it seemed like a weird misdirect. Like she was intentionally going, Oh, I'm going to make people think that she sucked back in, but then immediately she comes back out of it. And then we go to her trying to rush to her freedom. And all of that just felt, especially with the cars crashing into each other. It was almost like a big action climax. It just felt out of place. And it's just that final, like 30 minutes or the final act entirely just felt way too rushed. And it really dampen some of the good build for me. So my interpretation of that is, and again, this is why I had said before that the trailers and trying to outguess the movie does the viewer a disservice because then you're, you're kind of missing the material in the presentation. My interpretation of all of that is that, um, you know, just going back to our contemporary and political time and where we are in society now, when you learn something that you had never seen before and your eyes are open to it, 
there, there are levels that you kind of go through of awareness where you're like, oh, okay, I never saw that before. Oh my God, I'm seeing it all again. And then wait, I, I, I want to go back. But then you can't because the bell has been rung already. I think that that's what that visualization is about. Which is, which which is, is possible. But I feel like for me, it also comes down to even if that's the point, you run that risk of with a narrative, do I feel it? And in this case, I never felt it. Like it just it ended up feeling rushed as opposed to having a big poignancy and maybe again yeah. uh, with rewatches I will, but it, there was just too much of a problem throughout the film where I liked a lot of the ideas that she was going for, but I feel they were either rushed or like they didn't have as much of an impact as they should have. Like even if yeah. I am aware of them happening or can understand when somebody brings it up, it's still a matter of, but do I feel like it was conveyed well enough that I felt that, you know? Yeah. And in this case, I hear you. No, yeah. I just, and like, and like I said, my, my interpretation of it is, is, you know, when, when you're viewing life and you're viewing, you know, interpersonal relationships, race relations, whatever, and then you learn of something, it is like a cataclysmic change. It is like cars exploding and running up a hill and running away from, from people and trying to escape a reality because it's, it's such a mind change, you know? And I, I, for me, interpreting that and seeing this in this story, a story, by the way, written by a woman and, you know, directed by a woman with a mainly female cast, I, you know, it's, it's, it's inescapable to, inescapable to not sort of see that. Mm -hmm. But again, that's my interpretation. They could have been just going for something big, you know? And, and I feel I like- I guess it's possible too, uh, if I see it again, maybe Pew does something clever where maybe- they didn't like, I, let's just say Zapper or Friar Brain and she was going in and I took it to be, oh, she had a moment that reminded her and she went off of that. Maybe she knew the whole time and she was just pretending to everyone because she wanted to find the right moment to call Styles out on it and have him explode and basically admit to it. But again, yeah. if it's that, I just feel like a, not even a whole lot more, but just a few more minutes to get comfortable with that. Because I think that's where all of my issues come with this is there's so much being presented and I'm not saying I needed to have my hand held or I needed hours upon hours of more content, but everything, even with coming with Pine and Pew, I feel like everything is almost like we're we're in second gear and then we just get to the finish line as opposed to having a few more moments that would let the drive through a bit smoother. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. In fact, um, not to insult Wild and company or whatever, but the end portion of this felt a little bit like uh if you've ever seen Bradgy shoots escape room, the, the first mm -hmm. escape room, I've seen the first. Um, okay. And then at the end, they throw us this whole thing about how there's a, a whole network of it. And there's a guy who runs it and there's a, a syndicate behind all of it. And it was like, wait a minute, where's all this coming from? And then it just ends. That's mm -hmm. kind of how this felt, right? It like we get the twist and then there's all this information thrown at us. And then it just kind of, yeah. Ends. And I wonder, because I know with escape room, I mean, they eventually did get a sequel and I haven't watched it yet, but it very much felt like even they were going up on this idea of, oh, we're going to have another one. And it's strange because while I think she could return to this and maybe expand on it, at least with Escape Room, and it was still a problem with that one's twist, you did feel like you were getting a cliffhanger. Here, it didn't yeah. really feel like a cliffhanger. It felt like it's supposed to be ambiguous. So it's almost a little bit more jarring than that, even though yeah, I will say Escape Room's ending is much more abrupt than this one. They at least you get the whole like 
build towards it and her running away. So it's not like out of nowhere. It's just right, right, right. It's just once we get there, it's just it does still seem like it's a race, which is weird. Yeah. And the escape room sequel expanded on all of that. And so in a good way or bad way? In a good way. And I want a third movie. Um, yet again, another reason why listeners will be like, they don't know what they're talking about. They like escape room. <laughs> hey, I liked the first one. I thought it was a fun movie. <laughs> I, no, I did too. And the sequel, I, I very much enjoyed the sequel and they expanded. No, the I, I have I heard cause I own the Blu-ray and I've heard like, cause you always get alternate versions of movies. It might just be a few different scenes. I've heard that like the theatrical cut and like, I guess the director's cut are mm-hmm. wildly different, like just in how they present everything. Oh, I may so. have to check. I haven't gotten the Blu-ray yet. I've been waiting for it to, to dip. On a, a price a price grab. But, I ended um, up getting it for like five bucks at a thrift store. So sometimes you get lucky. Yeah. Um one other thing I wanted to mention, uh and and again, I think that this dovetails with why we're seeing some of the visual misdirection of her like waking up and then we've got the story, and then she's back on a table getting like the electric shock. But if you watch, there are a lot of um there are a lot of visual motifs going on. So by the door in her house, there's this interesting structure that it's 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 three mirrors that are offset onto each other. So it's like layers. Mm-hmm. And then there's a lot of shots of of uh, uh, geometric symmetry where there's like repeating patterns. Like for example, in the in in her bathtub, there's the window slats. That are just like, you know, whatever. And then when you go into Pine's house or whatever, there's all these like windows and frames and shades that are making these perfect vertical lines. But then it's also kind of like peering into something and not seeing the whole picture and then like different shades of things. You know what I mean? But that that visual motif is everywhere. It's in the trolleys. It's in the windows. It's in, you know, uh, the mirrors that I mentioned. It's in... Um, the, the dancers and how their legs are kind of like this vertical stuff or whatever. So, you know, again, kudos to Libatique and his, his cinematography. Um, they really do put it out there of like, you know, you're watching something that you're not seeing the whole picture and, you know, it's great. I loved it. The also, I will great. say uh, on top of all that and loving that they did. And this kind of made me tip off to think, well, okay, maybe this isn't like in fifties, maybe it's later because anytime you saw something on her television, when she's cleaning the house, it was always the scary skeleton dance, which I love because it's Halloween. Yes. But it was always that, which, and I thought that was 100% intentional to have that in the background of, maybe there's more deepness to it, but just in this idea that reliving the same thing every day and being weird. And it might also just come down to, it's easy to to use something that's probably in the public domain. But I think that there was a point to that. And that was also me kind of going, not so much virtual reality, but I'm like, something is up. If that's the only thing that's always playing on our television, because that's a very weird choice for it just to be that. And I think that's the point was they're stuck in this, almost this loop, uh, this matrix loop that is replaying the same things every day. Well, it's, you know, and it's funny that you just mentioned that because the skeleton dance and then Harry Styles, Styles doing that thing, weird I didn't dance. even put those two together. That's even right? better because that everything's and then, in motion and similar. But what's our final image? Her dancing in her apartment. Yes. So also, did she escape? Or and did it also, she not? now I'm thinking about it, plays into just the idea that, you know, these are no longer people living in this society. They're just skeletons. They're skeletons that are right. used as puppets. 
or yeah, either used as puppets or being made to dance, dance, monkey, mm-hmm. dance, do my bidding, you know? And so did she get out because she's dancing? That doesn't necessarily mean she's dancing out of happiness. She may very well still be trapped. I am the, the, the cynical one whenever it comes to most twist where I'm like, that's nah, never a happy ending. If you're going to be ambiguous in oh. my mind, it's negative. Like uh, she didn't escape. She I did guess not escape. if you haven't seen Krampus yet, spoilers, <laughs> Uh, I've always taken the snow globe thing to being, they're just in a loop. It's not a happy ending. It's a negative ending. Bingo. Bingo. Just like the old woman floating at the end of Titanic. She killed herself. Y'all she killed herself. Damn. Well, you know what? That's a good twist. I will say one more thing before we wrap this up. And this one's not (laughs) the biggest thing, but I forgot. I did write a note for this specifically, and this is more crowd related, but so there's a scene, and I might get canceled for this. I don't know how people cancel people. Oh, uh-oh. But where when we're seeing Harry Styles as an incel, he's eating tuna straight from the can, and all of the girls went, ew. And as somebody who eats tuna straight from the can, it is uh, not I disgusting, do. you sons of bitches. It's healthy because you don't That's put right. it in mayo and all that. The only reason I don't do it as much now is because whenever whatever little remnants of the tuna is left goes to shadow. So nine times out of 10, I'll either make a tuna sandwich or I'll just put it in a bowl for myself because it's going to be a pain trying to eat that can with him suffocating me. So, but up until no. him, no, I would just eat it straight out of the can. It saved space. Oh my God, me time. too. It was healthier getting off. Oh, so, so fuck you girls in the, the screening. <laughs> we were like, ew, fuck you. <laughs> hey, tuna is very good for you. Oh, it is. I love tuna. Um, plus it's in its own wonderful little juices when it's in the can, it doesn't get dry. Um, the, my only hesitation is sometimes the, the canning process, like yeah. there's BP and shit inside. It might be but better as long to as you, wash after it, but yeah, but still I, I eat straight out of the can too. Screw well, good. Them. And if that gets us both canceled, that's a really weird way to get people canceled, but damn it. Eat tuna out of the can. So I'm a little, I'm a little disappointed. This is, uh, don't worry, darling. Second weekend, I think, and mm-hmm. it's 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 down sixty one percent, which is Ooh, okay, that's that is the death pain. nail. Which is also surprising right? too, because its weekday uh, grosses weren't bad; like they were in line with other films. Like it wasn't drastic, so I thought it would. Yeah, what will help cushion it to a degree is the fact that it was still a cheap production. I think it was only what thirty some million. So only, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's nowadays that is only, uh, yes. and it did make almost twenty million. So opening, so I. Ah, but then again, if it needs to break even, it usually the argument is you usually want to double it, especially because you can't. We never know the marketing costs, and they clearly marketed the shit out of this one. Yeah. So so we'll. Well, see. I got to tell you, I feel like overseas, they will eat this up. Okay. I'm not, Just well, I guess it depends on what market. The yeah, Americana of it, like That's I feel true. like I That's feel like true. the Asian audiences are going to totally eat this up. You've got a you point. Know? And, and also yeah. just the visuals of it translates well overseas because that oh, the yeah. visuals complement the drama as opposed to being a straight-laced drama where that would be the culture clash. So I actually, I think you've got a point. I guess the I only- mean, look, look, if you go to Tokyo, you will see Japanese cowboys. Okay? That is true. That is very like, true, they- especially over there. They love the, the, the <laughs> they Americana. They love Americana. Um, but no, it's, it's even if this one does eventually turn itself a profit. I mean, I will say this, though. Because we're talking about Harry Styles, I do wonder if it's opening weekend, and I'm also going off the fact that I saw this in a theater full of Harry Styles fanatics, did that help it but also hurt it in the long run? Because I think you were getting that immediate rush of those fangirls that always come out to these kind of movies 
But then if they don't like it, and I will say my crowd seemed to kind of like it. Nobody was over the moon, but kind of listening to people coming out, they're like, oh yeah, I kind of liked it. It was interesting, unique. So I could just say my crowd did not seem to hate it. They seemed to go with it. They might have laughed at some of the twists, but ultimately I still think they liked where it went. I know it's been more divisive since then, so who knows? And this is a hard sell because it's such a, which is probably why on that second trailer, the one that got played the most, they probably played up the wild antics. So if they knew the Harry Styles fangirls were coming in, they can't complain about weird visuals when it was already in the trailers for you. They still will, but, but yeah. Yeah, that's what the, the trades have, the trades have basically said, you know, like a horror film, this was front loaded mainly with Harry Styles fans. And it's sort of like. I mean, but you can't escape that either. He's on the goddamn poster. Yeah, and and eventually that will subside just because with anybody, they eventually just become their own. And also fangirls may move on to something else. They may still like him, but I think there's always that, even if you're not a fangirl, there's always that unique area when you're getting a performer in their first few films, like a Madonna, like, ooh, she's going into film, curious. But once they just become a regular actor, you still might want to see them, but it's not... It doesn't have that fresh wow factor. It just has that, which is nice for the performers because if they stick around and people aren't like rolling their eyes, they're just accepting of it. That's kind of what you want. But from a box office standpoint, from probably their the producers and their agents who want that always to be special, you can't really make it special. Because I remember that was a big thing with Dunkirk. Obviously, I only played a small part of it, but that was a, are there going to be more females coming to this? Younger females who wouldn't because Styles is in it. And this one is... He played a bit part. This is a breakout role for him. He does play. Yeah. I mean, he's built right behind Pew, even if. Yeah. And he's, he's integral to the whole story. He's got major screen time. So. Yeah. Uh, any other thoughts? No, I feel I like we, say, uh, as much as I love this worry, conversation, <laughs> I'm still sticking with my skip rating, but like yours is a soft watch. Mine is a soft skip. So, which I guess yeah. if I say this soft skip, I'm, I'm not telling people not to watch it. I'm just. I'm just saying it ultimately didn't work for me, but if you go in knowing that, you might take to it better. Yeah. Like if you And the and let's I mean, look, the visuals alone. Oh, they're great. Just demand to be seen on a big screen. Yeah, and even the sound. I thought the sound mixing and what you're saying with the whispering, that's really especially when you're having the the moments of her and the nightmare and you're in a ta 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 like that's yeah. amplified when you're in a theater because it's surrounding you and they, they do a really good job and this is a nice big screen experience regardless of how i I ended up feeling after the film i should mention john powell's score because to be sure there are traditional music beats music suspense beats drama beats but then there's that sort of discordant tonal ambient scary stuff with the (laughs) like the you know the breathing i just wanted to do it again i just wanted to do it again that's why i like it it's not bad it's just definitely (laughs) It sounds like what should have been playing during the eating out sequence. <laughs> yes. Yes. John Powell, we have a studio note for you. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. Uh, yeah. So you are a soft skip and yes. I am a soft watch. So I think that could come down to give this one a chance at least. I think we can agree on at that. At least. At least. I mean, look, Olivia Wilde is ambitious filmmaker. She's got a great future ahead of her as does Harry Styles with his acting. Um, the cast is brilliant here. Everything. It's top notch production. Um, give, definitely give it a chance. Absolutely. All right. All right. I think that's a wrap. It is. And you know, we might've been a little 
differing in what we thought was worth a watch or a skip, but we hope that you never skip. You always listen and remember that you are the plus.